detective? Thrill me. Scream! Scream for your lives! You're going out there to destroy them, right? Not to study, not to bring back. I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. Oh, I know this creature of yours. When the dragon gets this old, it knows nothing but pain. Scientists are saying the future is going to be far more futuristic than they originally predicted. Welcome to Healthcare Boy, gentlemen. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. So, Celestial so event. That works. You really shook the pillars of heaven, didn't you? What's the boogeyman? As a matter of fact, it was. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Phantom Galaxy. And actually, this is the Illustrated Fan, the podcast within Phantom Galaxy. I'm your host, Nathan Barbell. I'm joined by my co-host, Dave Becker. Dave, how are you doing tonight? I am doing great, sir. Thank you so much. And here it is, October. This is the month. This is and the month. Yeah, yeah, this is our our uh, the month that every horror fan and you know every fan of the uh, of the supernatural and and I'd say cold weather, but here in ba- Baltimore and in PA, we're just now getting weather that even feels remotely like fall. Yeah, just now, just now <laughs> we're getting weather where we wake up and we're like, oh Jesus, what what? <laughs> yeah, and it's it's, it's like it's more than the middle. It's beyond the middle of the of the month. But yes, yeah, we got a little bit of a late start with Phantom Galaxy getting our our um, our Halloween episodes, but we're in full tilt now. We're uh, We've had Strange Frequencies, and we also had an episode about Indonesian horror. And now we have our episode, our, our Halloween episode. It's fun because we're now, I think we're we're officially now into episode six. Yes. <laughs> we've from, we've yeah, now had six Illustrated fan. Yeah. fan. It's been a lot of fun. And <laughs> yeah, we just, uh, the last one we did was a lot of fun. We did the Bakshi episode. Yes. And we've, we've covered Batman. Uh, and we actually brought a guest in tonight for yeah. for tonight's episode i'm super excited because it's the one the only not the only usually he shows up 10 times but uh on most of the <laughs> other podcasts where he, he he appears uh but we're gonna bring in greg bench greg how are you tonight i'm doing well i'm glad to be here yeah we're glad to have you and greg is uh Greg's been on Fan Galaxy a couple times. Greg, you are you are uh, one of the guests on our our highest ranking episode at this point was the best horror movies of 2020. The episode that we did, I think, the last time you were on, if you remember yes. that. Well, that's, so that's that's good that I have that <laughs> that kind of a record. So that's good. Yes. Yes. You're you're I think you're also in the in the top ten with the uh, the camping episode. Remember we we did an episode about. Uh, Camping horror, I yes. think, uh, Greg, you're up for that. So that was a lot of fun. But we're we happy. Decided, we decided to have Greg on because we were thinking of having a a, a phone in line. And yes. figuring, you know what? It's just Greg's going to be probably dominating in any way. So let's just bring him in for this episode. Well, you know, with the 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 the, the only and longest voicemail we received <laughs> for this this uh, mini podcast came from Greg yes. in the first episode. Greg had an episode yep. before we he had a voicemail in before we recorded a single episode. So we had to have him in <laughs> at some point. And actually, I'd love to have Greg back at uh, Greg. The one that we 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 definitely have to get you in for is an episode about Saturday morning cartoons. 
So that is happening. But I thought it would be really fun because Greg, um, and if you want to talk a little bit, are you doing this year? I know previous years you, you have, you do a pretty intense lineup to Halloween, don't you for, for horror films? Oh yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, (laughs) I'm trying to think of what number I'm on. Uh, It's been kind of a slower year for me this year. Uh, And I really have no understanding why, but let's see. Today's like the 19th. I think I'm, I'm, tracking just about one a day usually i'm about two a day but this again i don't know it's just been an off year um but yeah i'm like at uh, number 24 25 and um just a lot of uh a lot of standards um i've watched halloween four and halloween five halloween kills um golly a lot of 2021 movies i watched this turd of a film called uh, <laughs> sharks of the corn it was reckon it was what? recommended by ashley pinkard and oh sharks of the corn how could that have gone wrong what could have possibly <laughs> it, it is uh it's not the worst movie i've seen this year and i actually i I called in the lotc about this for 2021 because i'm like everybody's gonna be talking about their favorite movies or or the best movies well i was covering the 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 crappy ones and (laughs) it was sharks of the corn and literally it's a a ripoff of well jaws is obviously the first one and it's just bad and you know, I've I've never quite I've never thought of Jaws meets Children of the Corn a, exactly as a movie, but I mean they rip off lines and then it goes completely off the rails talking about Stonehenge and and it's I've seen zero budget movies before I've I've been a part of student films before I've seen those I, I've seen those movies and it's like this one is just insulting towards the viewer. This which is, is zero where, brain cells, right? Yeah, where <laughs> I have to give it like, you know, so on uh, Letterboxd, it has the half star. I can't give zero stars because they did one thing that I didn't do, which is make a complete full-length feature film. So <laughs> you get at least a half of a star for that. But this is this is just bad. I have one question. Is there at least a shot? Is there at least a shot of a of a giant shark fin, like zooming down the rows of corn? Kinda, yes. Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! If your answer is only kind of, I, what an what an absolute fail! Because it, it's it's it, it's like the one thing that they keep that you see a couple of times is like the, like a a drone flying above the cornfields, and you'll see these sharks just interweaving through the the rows. <sighs> Which is, you know, it was, you can clearly tell it's CGI and all that, blah, 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 blah. But yet, when it gets to these kills, they're using CGI blood. And then they're using the, uh, like, the cameras behind a rubber uh, (laughs) shark head. And it's just, it's like they, uh, I mean, I I could talk way too long about this movie that I shouldn't even be having but three words for (laughs) well i didn't stop you because you said sharks of the corn i said well that's a sci-fi channel and it certainly belongs in animation i'm sure because it probably would have been much better in animation than it was (laughs) oh i think i think you could see the thing is a nice five minute short like one of those like love death and robots with a giant shark in the cornfield bang on that's the problem with these sharks in the corn 
that's a short film. That's a, that's all it is. Mm-hmm. You know, you mm-hmm. get the image, you get the title, you giggle about it and you move on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but anyway, Greg, we're so happy to have you here tonight. And tonight's yeah. episode is about, we'll kind of jump right in. It's, it's about uh, Halloween and horror related animated, animated films and TV specials. Uh, to give it some sort of structure, we uh, each of us has picked one short, um, you know, one short or maybe a couple of shorts, and we've also picked a movie or, or TV special. And then we we can probably talk and mention a few others. And we also have two uh, movies, so the movie and a series that was really a movie split into about eleven minute chunks. So we'll get to that, <laughs> but uh, we'll talk about those at the end. Uh, but what I wanted to start out with is. We introduce our movies, but I, you know, we're horror fans here too. You know, in addition to the other genres, uh, certainly Dave, you're over on Land of the Creeps, and and Greg, you're pretty well versed in horror too. And I don't know about you, but certainly growing up and coming up into horror, you know, when I wasn't as brave or as as maybe um, indoctrinated into all of it you know the flashes of horror and the flashes of the creepy the things that got me kind of hooked on the genre even before i was watching things like the universal horror movies most of the 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 horror i was exposed to probably came through some of these creepier animated films or tv specials the where i was dipping my toes in were things like you know to me one of my earliest horror images that i can think of outside of the wicked witch from the wizard of oz was the Legend of Sleepy Hollow, the one, the, the Disney one, one with thinking. Bing. Yep. Uh, yes, Bing Crosby narrating. That is intense. And you know what? That was what the the adventures of uh, of uh, Mister Ichabod and Mister Toad. Yeah, they mixed the wind and the willows. Yes. And, yeah, and that's the first part of it. The wind and the willows is the first part of that, and it's not bad. But what you remember is that Ichabod Crane. You know that is so creepy. It really is. That's my first memory, too, as well. Yeah, and that imagery of when he throws the flaming pumpkin down yeah. down the bridge to to hit Ichabod because he can't go beyond the bridge, so he's not flown, throwing the pumpkin, which is an image from the actual story. You know what's funny is, and I love, I love, love, love Tim Burton's uh, Sleepy Hollow, which comes out later in 1999, but even too. Tim Burton can't in can't improve upon the scariness of right. that Disney image the <laughs> apocalyptic nature of that image is still scarier in the animated film than Absolutely. in the R rated Burton movie. Have Absolutely. you seen it, Greg? Oh yes. Multiple yeah. times. And it's as, as you said, it's on that perfect autumn yeah. evening, even in, uh, you know, I'm in a suburb of Toledo, a, a small city and, and growing up city lights and all that still didn't matter if the night was crisp enough and you had that moonlight shining over the tree lines i swear if i would have heard anything that was remotely close to a horse i probably would have pooped my pants as a kid <laughs> looking yeah. for looking for that jack-o'-lantern because yeah i was just uh, uh it, my imagination was is what ran me as a kid so seeing all that imagery even in cartoons it carried over into my real life all the time so it's a classic it's classic 10 times over so yeah i mean that was the thing when i saw horror growing up it was things like in in a lot of the disney films you know snow white the the witch in the snow white 
and uh, even yeah. even Pinocchio was pretty messed yes. up oh, when you were a Pinocchio. kid. Turning turning into the you know it's funny. Um, I I read this book and I I think I've talked about this before, but I read this book um from Italy talking about Italian horror, and for years in Italy, Italian like horror, what they viewed as horror. Were Disney movies? <laughs> were movies sent over from Disney? And that scene from Pinocchio with the kids turning into the the, the mules or donkeys? Yeah, yeah. you had that and um, the, the Wicked Witch. There really, there really was some very creepy moments. In. Now you look at what Italian horror became. I don't know that you could certainly look back at Disney as the root <laughs> no, of no, what would, no. what became Italian horror. But that's a lot of what they were looking at. That you know, they, they were those early Disney movies had some very, very disturbing, very creepy imagery in it. Dumbo and the uh, pink elephants used to creep yes. me out as a kid. That is so trippy, <laughs> so trippy. It and is. you're right. And it's the those elements are clearly pulled from other. Uh, you know, these are adults. Uh, who are who are pulling things from an art world that a kid has no idea about, right? Like, 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 101 Dalmatians has so much of that weird, like, kitschy mod art stuff. But like, mm-hmm. Cruella Deville is horrifying. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. she's the corpse. Had the witch with yeah, the apple, absolutely. Yeah, the witch. Yeah, Snow White is almost straight up like, and that's what's interesting about all of them. Those they don't start that way. Like, there's those fun Bing Crosby songs and the Sleepy Hollow one. And you know what's funny? When I saw it, I don't think I saw it as part of Ichabod, Mr. Toad. You know, back then they did the wonderful world of Disney and Disney would take and sort of uh, package, repackage these things. So it would take like that little, I don't know, I can't think of the name of the short, but it's the short where like uh, Mickey and and, and Pluto and and, uh, Goofy and Donald, I think they're like Ghostbusters or something, you know, they go into a haunted house and there's kind of ghosts chasing them around. And they had packaged that. And in between they had Jonathan Winters. (laughs) was talking to like a disembodied head in a ball and they would introduce these segments and he's like the he's the night security guard i distinctly remember that it was jonathan mm-hmm. winters and so uh and we had it recorded on vhs so it was a little one about a cat and you know a couple little small animated shorts that wanted the skeleton dance that i think won something that uh wow. that walt disney had earlier worked on so i you know the horror for me the, that I was exposed to came in the form of animated new. It, it was where it was being filtered in in little yeah. bits and getting I, me kind of hooked early I, on. I'll tell you what, when, when I was a kid, my father had a super eight um, uh, projector and he had several actual films that he bought. And it wasn't like the, like the full movies. I remember that, that he had these, these films that he bought um, where it was clips from movies. Like I remember there was a clip from WC fields, the bank Dick. Mm-hmm. That I used to sit there and love to watch, but he got one from Disney and it was Donald Duck. I don't even remember what it was called, but it was Donald Duck and it was Halloween. And it was a pretty, you know, intense sort of Halloween story. And as Is that the kid, one with the witches, the witch gives like a potion to Huey, Dewey and Louie or something. Yes, I think yeah. so. And then there's like this big explosion yeah. at one point. My father had that on Super 8. And I remember watching it. I must have been five or six years old, and it really made it had an impact on me. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I and and I think that was another one of those shorts that was on the Disney thing. But they had, it, I can't think of too many others. Maybe outside of Disney, maybe you guys can. I mean, there's a few we'll probably mention in a few minutes of the the, the classic Halloween specials. And I will mention up front the Mad Monster Party. So I don't know if you guys remember the Mad Monster Party. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
that uh, had a bunch of different voices. I Phyllis Diller, and I'm trying to think of who else. Boris Karloff. Boris Karloff. That's right. And it had yeah. uh, it was puppets. I mean, it's watching it now. It's not the greatest movie, but as a kid, <laughs> I did enjoy watching yeah, it. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. So what we can do is we can go ahead and get started. Unless you guys have any other ones that you wanted to mention. Uh, it, it, the only other uh, obvious one that came to mind when you said this was was Scooby Doo. Yeah, everything with Scooby Doo oriented. I, I just lapped it up, and it was great having the the globe trotters on there. Oh yeah, and, Sco- Scooby Doo yes. had a lot of people, and, a and lot of a was, lot of guests. Yeah. yeah, but they were always creepy. They were always, um, you know, they, they always sort of. They always they always at least approached horror in in mm-hmm. those in those shorts. I remember watching them. Yeah, they really did. And it was always, you know, it was always turned out to be somebody I would have made if it wasn't for you meddling kids. <laughs> like always, even when like they're a, being chased by a humanoid frog that yeah. has now jumped in and out of the water like eight times, where it's a giant like fur bearing T Rex, and somehow there's still old man Withers is still inside of this thing, and you're like, what? <laughs> Every time, but um, no, Scooby Doo is a good call, and you know, Scooby Doo actually has a series of as I go back and try to show them to my kids in the 2000s, a point when I probably wasn't watching that kind of stuff regularly. They did a couple of uh movies, like animated movies, I think, for Cartoon Network, and some of those are not bad, they're actually pretty decent. Yeah, so uh, they're better actually than wow. the live action or the the animated film that came out last uh, it would summer. not have taken much to beat the live action. Yeah. Let's be honest. Well, in fact, last thousands. Yeah. It seemed like a fun experiment. And the movies, to be fair, compared to some of the similar movies that came out at the same time, like those Alvin and Chipmunk movies and stuff, those Scooby Doo movies are a little bit better. They have fun cast. Yeah. Matthew Lillard is the quintessential Shaggy. (laughs) Oh, so much so. He's He's perfect. He's so much so that last year they had one called Scoob that came out, but then they had another one that came out, and Elvira. And Bill Nye <laughs> lent their voices to it. Bill Nye, the science guy, and they um, uh, Matthew Lillard was voicing Shaggy. Yeah, he should. So, he yeah. is the quintessential Shaggy. He was the best part of those movies. He's almost like yeah. he's, he was the embodiment of Shaggy. He really was. Though I did like uh, Linda Cardellini as uh, as uh, Velma too. It was it was a good yeah. was a good call? Yeah. But yeah, I, in fact, that whole that. cast was fine. They just needed to write a better movie, but. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You can't go wrong with Scooby Doo in right. animated form and Casey Kasem, you know, uh, oh, God rest him, but uh, fun stuff there. So, yeah. how about let's go to our shorts then? Greg, what is your short film or, you know, even like if it's a half hour TV special, that's fine too. Which one did you pick for this? I went with the classic 1985 garfield's halloween adventure Hmm. yes and this thing is free streaming on youtube and it actually has a fairly decent transfer i was pleasantly surprised i thought it was going to be really bad but it was it was half decent and i mean there's it's just cute it's a it's it's garfield come to life and you know i'm i'm the same age as Garfield. So he was <laughs> he, he came out in 1978. I was too young to remember him, but by 1985 he was a household name and they gave him this wonderful uh little animated special and basically it's Garfield and Odie and there's some musical numbers in it and they go out 
to do some trick-or-treating and they're both pirates and it's <laughs> and it's just great watching garfield dressed as a pirate with a little peg leg and then they get stuck on a boat and they're going down the river and Odie, of course loses the paddles but they go to this mansion this island mansion and the caretaker is there and the caretaker tells him about this curse of the island and of the general area about real pirates and pirate treasure and all this and so um the caretaker then takes off with their boat and at the stroke of midnight very similar to the fog these uh these apparitions appear and as for a ch being a child and being at seven because i remember it was not on halloween it was right around the halloween time so i was glued to that tube because again my brother was a huge garfield fan so he was a household name for us and there's moments in this movie in this little short because it's only about you know uh standard uh, like 22 minutes or something like that 22 yeah. 24 minutes whatever it was i think in the 80s they were still like 23 24 minutes they still weren't jamming the cart commercials in as much but it's it was spectacular and i mean it just it's nothing great but it's 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 great to revisit it i i showed it to my kids they kind of had a giggle and a laugh um more for my amusement um <laughs> because they they're just not into the stuff like i am but that's okay uh you know bless their little hearts but uh they amuse me um but it's 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 a cute and it's a fun one to revisit so the instant that you said it i was i was afraid somebody else was gonna pick it but i was glad that i i got to pick garfield's uh halloween adventure have you seen this one, Dave? No, I got to be honest. I did not. I mean, by 1985, what was I? I think I was. Uh, <laughs> might not have been I think 16. I was a junior in high school. <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen this one. But I, you know what? I was a fan of Garfield. I used to read the comics, you know, Jim Davis's comics all the time. Um, so uh, I'm surprised I haven't seen it. This one's really fun. And Lou Rawls around this time was doing the songs for the Garfield. So Lou Rawls does a couple of fun, really fun, like Halloween related songs. When Garfield has that peg leg on, he, he before he leaves to go trick or treating, he walks over and stabs it into a slice of lasagna on John's plate and then walks off yes. with it you know, on, yes, the, on the thing. What's interesting though about that story. So with they, the main story that they're engaged in is a legitimate like horror story. Like I no, there's no blood or everything, but it looks like, the caretaker looks like he came out of EC horror comics. He's sitting in this oh, old gnarled chair creepy. and he's got one bulging eye, like the telltale and uh, the, <laughs> yeah, the telltale heart. And he like, he's leering at them. And then when the goat, I mean, this is basically the plot of pirates of the Caribbean, the film. I mean, it really is like these ghost pirates who are cursed, come back after this treasure. And they, they legitimately are phantasmal pirates that chase Garfield and Odie through this house. And I mean, they like the, the weird phosphorescent lights coming up in the window and the skeletal hands. And I mean, it's that part's a legitimate kind of horror story. It doesn't last for very long. Last year, I, in fact, it's popped up my Facebook feed. I showed this to the neighborhood kids who are all a little bit younger and they got freaked out. <laughs> so <laughs> it's a good one. And I think in the eighties, they were pairing it with the tried and true classics, you know, the, the, there's one, I'm not going to steal anybody's thunder, but there's one that's the tried and true, you know, Halloween cartoon. So I think I saw the Garfield one because I was watching the other and then it kind of stopped and went right into this one. But this is, uh, it's really good. It's really funny. 
uh, and it's got, you know, um, who was Garfield's voice? You know, um, it's funny because uh, it's not coming to me. Greg, I'm sure you know. Oh, Lorenzo it was, music. Yes, Lorenzo music. Yes, the guy who did the um, he was in the uh, what was that? Was it Rhoda or or um, he was the 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 uh, oh god, the the guy um on the on the loudspeaker. Every time they talk, I can't remember what it was. He was he was one of the either Rhoda or um, Phyllis. I can't remember what the show. Oh, was. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. I can't think of it. He, I think it was Rhoda. I think it was the, with Rhoda, and he was the guy on the loudspeaker. Yeah, like the, the, he worked at the front desk or whatever the hell it was. I can't remember exactly, but it was him, and he's almost like it's the same voice. Like, yes. he, like he didn't even try it, to change his voice about from one the to same. the other. And the funny yeah. thing I always remember about uh, Lorenzo music is interesting is Lorenzo music went on in the eighties uh, to do after the Ghostbusters came out, they had this cartoon, the real Ghostbusters, and he voiced Peter Venkman, the Bill Murray character, which of course Bill Murray comes around and, and repays the favor by voicing Garfield. In two yes, films. Exactly. So <laughs> I always thought that was pretty, a pretty cool thing, right. but yeah, it's totally worth seeing, particularly if you have kids, uh, and maybe they've not been exposed to Garfield because I'm sitting here thinking, you know what? Like, it's not like there are, as far as I'm aware, there's not a lot of new Garfield content coming out unless it's right. unless they've got a new series somewhere I'm not aware of. But that's awesome. No, so I they, yeah, not uh, the one thing that you know, I'm 43 and I still carry it over and I owe it to Garfield, but. Every year, I'll catch myself, and I f- kind of forgot where it came from. But when I see Candy in the in the show, <laughs> he goes Candy, Candy, yes. Candy, 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 <laughs> and it's just the it's just endearing to see Garfield do that. And I I to this day I I right around Halloween, it's I can hear that inner voice inside my head going Candy, 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 Candy. You know, so thank you, Garfield. <laughs> you know what my kids latched onto? There's a clown in there, Blinky the Bink, Binky the clown, right? Oh, yeah. And he's what's he says? Like, children, do you want to grow up to be worthless? That's, that's my my children grew around saying, "Do you want to grow up to be worthless?" I was like, "Please don't make give give any of your classmates the idea that you're hearing that from your parents." <laughs> but um, yeah, it, it's fun stuff. Dave, how about you? Uh, as far as uh, short films go, all right. Well, my short film. And just give me a second here. I'll pull it up. Uh, For my short film, I'm going all the way back to the year 1966. And it is the uh, Charles Schultz, I guess, penned, Bill Melendez directed. It's the great pumpkin, Charlie Brown. Now, what's interesting is, is this was the follow-up to a Charlie Brown Christmas from 1965, you know, um, after that, that one became such a success. Um, the executives uh, got together, TV execs got together, and they started hounding Schultz and, and, and Bill Melendez for another one, for another Peanuts Gang special. So they got together and they hammered out the details for It's the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown, which hit the airwaves a year after. A Charlie Brown Christmas, um, and you know it's 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 kind of the it's it's an interesting. It, there's several stories going on here. You know, you have um, uh, well, you have Charlie Brown, and um, 
you know, him, uh, Charlie Brown, he gets invited to a Halloween party and he's going trick or treating. Uh, but you then you have the story of Linus Van Pelt, you know, Lucy's younger brother, Linus. Uh, he wants to meet the great pumpkin who, according to legend, visits one pumpkin patch each and every Halloween, the most sincere pumpkin patch. And he delivers toys to all the good boys and girls in that area. Um, and he's joined by Sally, who is uh, Charlie Brown's younger sister. Um, and spends in the, all of Halloween, the entirety of October 31st, Halloween night, sitting in this pumpkin patch, waiting for the great pumpkin to arrive. Um what I like about this, this is a, this is another TV special. It's about 25 minutes, but there's a lot going on here. You know, the story of Linus and the Great Pumpkin is just part of it. You have you have Charlie Brown um, going out trick or treating with the gang, and he's wearing this sheet that has tons of holes in it. Yeah, you know, I don't even know if they really explain why the hell all the holes are in there. But he's walking around as a ghost with like 18 or 20 eye holes throughout the entire costume. And every time he goes to a house, you know, everyone's talking about what they got. Oh, I got a candy apple. I got a, you know, what a Charlie Brown, I got a rock. Yeah, every I place got he a goes, rock. Charlie Brown, I got a rock. <laughs> um, but this is this one I remember seeing all the time when I was a kid. You know, this is, you know, I was, I was born in 69. So this came out well before I was born. So I grew up with this every Halloween. It's the great pumpkin. Charlie Brown was broadcast, but what's really cool is just that legend of the great pumpkin, you know, that Linus is sort of, of throwing out there. Um, even as a kid, I'm thinking, yeah, it's total BS. There is no great pumpkin. He's not going to visit the most sincere pumpkin patch. He's not going to deliver toys or whatever. But there's something cool about the way that Linus just totally commits himself to that. You know, I loved that about this. How he's just totally committing himself to the existence of this great pumpkin. Uh, and like I said, there's a lot going on. You, you once again get Charlie Brown trying to kick the football <laughs> that, Lucy, that Lucy is holding for him. Um, you get Snoopy, a really cool sort of side story of Snoopy as, um, you know, the, this uh, in his sop World with War Camel. Flying Ace, right? Yeah. World War One Flying Ace in his sop with Camel going after the Red Baron. You get that side story. There's a lot going on here. But yet it still works as, as a Halloween special. Now, over the years, they'd make a lot of holiday specials. Charlie Brown did. They did Thanksgiving with the Charlie Brown Thanksgiving from 73. They did Easter. It's yeah. the Easter Beagle Charlie Brown. Valentine's Day. Even Arbor Day. Yeah, we have. They made a Charlie Brown special. It's Arbor Day Charlie Brown. I don't think there was a holiday that passed that Charlie Brown didn't have a special for. I wish it was but called It's Arbor Day Charlie Brown. <laughs> <laughs> But a Charlie Brown Christmas and it's the great pumpkin. Charlie Brown, I think are one, two. I kind of like it's a Charlie Brown, you know, the Charlie Brown Thanksgiving. 
there was something cool about having popcorn and and yeah. all this other stuff for for Thanksgiving dinner. The children can make an entire meal in their backyard. They can make <laughs> on, an entire meal in their backyard. Even even with peppermint patty yes. being a <laughs> wet rag screwing up everything, <laughs> just saying, "What the hell is this dinner? I wasn't what I was expecting." But the bottom line is, a Charlie Brown Christmas, which let's be honest, was not a well made animated film. There are things no. in that movie that don't work. Colors change. You know, people's like their costumes change. There's colors a point where one child doesn't scene. have clothes because of the yeah, way that exactly. <laughs> you have straight you, up naked at one point. You have character <laughs> voices coming out of the wrong person at times. Yeah, and it's because. Charles Schultz and Bill Melendez were only given a few weeks to put it together, and they, you couldn't do it. The little girl who was Sally in A Charlie Brown Christmas, she couldn't even read. Her mother had to sort of tell her every line, and she had to just repeat it. You know, by the time it got to It's the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown, they had perfected it a little more. They had a little more time, and you see the maturity. This is actually, technically, even though A Charlie Brown Christmas is the more beloved, and I love it too. I love a Charlie Brown Christmas. I watch it every every holiday season. It's the Great Pumpkin. Charlie Brown was the first of them that was actually more professional and more well produced. Yeah, I, I definitely think that's true. But you know what's interesting, Dave? Is uh, while I probably like intellectually knew that that it came after, I just don't think I yeah. ever really thought about it. And when you think about not just that it came after, but it came most directly after, you know, and mm -hmm. it came after as a result of it. One thing just popped in my head is that, you know, what's the centerpiece of Charlie of the Charlie Brown Christmas? Like it's the moment when Linus gets up there and just basically lays yes. out the Christmas he story. Lays out what Christmas really is all about. That is the moment from that movie that, from that that special that you always take with you. And Absolutely. he's seen as sincere and wise yes. and he understands the point perfectly. And then this is crazy because it kind of turns it on its head. It's like, <laughs> yeah. here's the, here's the person of faith who's got it together. It's going to help everybody. And here's the person of faith who has faith, but maybe they shouldn't. It's just, who, a yeah, weird... exactly. He's come up with this. It's almost like he created this <laughs> yes. legend, you know, but he's got like the, the same level before. of conviction as he yeah. did in the Christmas special. But where it looks sincere and worthwhile, he looks like a crackpot here. And there's a <laughs> genius bait and switch, if you think about it. <laughs> it really is. I agree with you because you 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 learn to sort of follow Linus. Yes. You think of him as like you're saying, the voice of reason. And and not just a Charlie Brown Christmas, but in all of the comic strips yeah. that came about. He's the one who sort of had his stuff together. But in this one, you're like the great pumpkin, the most sincere pumpkin patch, sitting in a pumpkin patch while everyone else is out getting candy. You're like, Linus, you're off your rocker. What the hell are you talking about? And somehow, though, <laughs> somehow the only person who has a worse evening than Linus is Charlie Brown, who's, yeah, with, all the time. who's with everybody the entire yes. time. And this <laughs> when you really realize you're like, oh, my gosh, this is like. This poor kid is like a 10-year-old and he's balding and he already has a beer gut and <laughs> nobody 
wants to be with him. And he's got those holes. And they're drawing that pumpkin on the back of his head, the jack-o'-lantern <laughs> thing. And it's just – and it basically it ends with an existential hangover. Like the next morning, it's like they're, they're, they're resting against the gate. And Charlie Brown wants to know why the universe is against him. And Linus yeah. wants to know, you know, about the great pumpkin. Well, it's funny because Charlie Brown kind of says, oh, you know, he's crazy with the great pumpkin. And Linus just launches into him. Yeah. Crazy? No, next year will be the year. And that's, and that's how the special ends. He was like, I've learned never to, to, to discuss religion or the great pumpkin. With right. Politics, religion, and the great yes. pumpkin. I never talk about them with other people. It's Yeah, it, it's seen as such a cute, like, special and it is but the oh, the most halloween thing about the episode i mean they go and they, they go to the halloween parties and everything but the most interesting thing about the halloween episode is the 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 flying ace thing because it's the only it's yes. the whole pretend like like he's creeping through those autumn fields that's where you get the the autumn the really good autumn imagery yes. and the feeling of what it is when you're a little kid and you dress in this costume and you're you're not you're not just wearing a costume and getting candy you are for a night you're that person you know yes. you're whatever yes and, i agree i agree and that and that was really that you're right i really love that that, that sequence the stuff with the with the stop with camel and snoopy yeah. and the and the great ba- and the red bear I love that. I really think that's great. But this is really a special where, but you see that it's, it's, you know, more than the Christmas special. When it got to It's the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown, you see the three to four panel Charles Schultz daily cartoons. You know, you see, because you like, you see them there. You see like Linus writing his letter to the yeah. great pumpkin and someone coming in and saying something. And then him, him sort of having a, a final like little joke at the end there. You see the four panel Charles Schultz cartoons in this one more than you did in the Charlie Brown Christmas special. I just don't think they had enough time making no. the Christmas special to incorporate them in this one. This is Charles Schultz. It's like a series of four panel Charles Schultz cartoons, his daily, you know, daily cartoons that he put in the papers string together. Yeah. And it's, and they're, and it's really good. And it's so much fun like to watch. And I love too when, when he gets his little sister, uh, Charlie Brown's little sister. And, you know, she's like, well, I, you know, <laughs> like the, the, she wants to believe in it because she wants to get something out of it. <laughs> you know, she was the one in the previous Christmas special talking about, you know, oh, I only want my fair share. You know, I, just, I only want, I yeah, what's I only coming want what's to me. Coming to me. <laughs> yeah. I only want my fair share. Right. <laughs> so here she is willing to hang out in the pumpkin patch. For the right. great pumpkin, some other. She's not you know. too happy at the end, though. No, no. Well, because once, once you know. it's over, she's not too happy. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so those are both great, and I feel like the Charlie Brown. I, you know, those are two that have actually the both of those Charlie Brown specials have truly stood the test of time. We actually remember on Blu-ray. It's fun to pull. I mean, they don't. Yeah. Blu-ray doesn't do them a lot of a lot of favors but, no it, it doesn't but um, one of the cool things is the special features yeah they when really it is really see what the, the, what went into the making of them and you see why when they made the charlie brown special both charles schultz and bill melendez and everybody involved said oh my god this is a freaking disaster it's not going to go anywhere and to see how it's become such a beloved special and that's and that's down to Schultz, the characters. You it know, is. that's it is. Did you guys either one of you see the they made and I was horrified uh or terrified of it when it came out initially. A few years back they made a peanuts movie 
uh, and it came to theaters. It was it was you know CGI animated. I, yeah, I didn't see it, but I I, I do remember. I haven't and seen it though. I was like, oh, and I took my kids to see it. I don't know how you felt, Greg, but I actually really enjoyed that movie. Uh, it was pretty good actually, but it was pretty good because of what we just talked about, like animation and everything aside. To me, they captured the characters. They relied upon what made the Schultz characters like uh, work. And that's why I think Charlie Brown, yes. I mean, and that one, they actually kind of give Charlie Brown a little bit of a break. You know, they show that they show yeah, that yeah. Charlie Brown's the guy who's always there for everyone, regardless of how he gets crapped upon, which is, which is true. But Schultz is not that much of a sentimentalist. I don't think as much, you know? And so he just allows Charlie Brown to be, to end an episode browbeaten, but you know, in the movie, they gotta, they gotta to cheer him up at least once. <laughs> yeah. And, and with, with the, the little redhead, you know, he finally gets to, to interact with her a little bit, (laughs) but, um, it's a good movie, but I mean, I, I guess the, the, the takeaway there is it's those characters and, and, and his sense of his understanding of kids and of people, you know, uh, it's just Mm -hmm. you as an adult, you can watch that and pick up on things and it's just great. You know, why, why did Charlie Brown cut 70 holes into his thing? And why is he, why is it always him? Yeah. Why is, and they never explained it. Why, who the hell had a rock in their house? Everybody had a rock in the house to throw into his bag. Well, that's, that's the existential <laughs> thing, right? It's like a, well, it's it's like Charlie Brown's coming. Grab the rock, right? Exactly. Oh, here's the look at look at this kid's <laughs> costume. Let's just throw him a rock. Yeah, well, that's that's kind of this idea that the universe is actually a lot. You know, he's worried about the Great Pumpkin. Meanwhile, whatever deity is out there is just throwing rocks at Charlie yeah, Brown. <laughs> exactly. As much as as crappy a night as Linus and Sally had, you're right, Nathan. You're not the it was kid not as God bad hates. as Charlie Brown. Yeah. Charlie Brown had a pumpkin drawn on the back of his head. And he got nothing but rocks in his bag. Yeah. So I, I think that's pretty fun. Yeah. So we'll, we'll switch gears just a little bit. And uh, the movie the, or the, it, I, I chose a series of shorts that in, in, in all together add up to only a little bit over an hour, but, uh, and really you could take any one of these shorts and, and watch them individually. So that's kind of why I chose this. This is uh this is going to lean a little bit more towards horror. This is Raul Garcia's Extraordinary Tales. It came out a couple years back in, uh, I want to say, 2015. And, uh, Greg, have you seen this one? It's yeah. A, yes, It's I an did. anthology of Poe film, of Poe stories. Uh, and they are mm-hmm. narrated. Oh, some of them have even been, are, are using older narrations because what 2015 movie is going to give you Bella Lugosi <laughs> and Christopher Lee, <laughs> and who Christopher I think passed Lee. either passed that year or a year or so before. Um, and it, mm-hmm. but at that point, I think Christopher Lee was only doing uh, heavy metal Christmas albums. So, you know, <laughs> <laughs> narrating any post stuff. So you've got Christopher Lee narrating fall of the house of washer. You also get, um, you, excuse me. You also get Guillermo del Toro narrating, uh, the mm-hmm. uh, Pit and the Pendulum, which is really cool. And uh, Bella Lugosi does the Telltale Heart, which is really cool because you hear that it's got that old crackly recording, but it's pretty neat. And there's uh, there's a couple others. I think there's also one that Julian Sands, the Warlock, you know? Yeah, the Warlock. Or, or, or the Spider Expert. The red Spider Expert for Arachnophobia. The Phantom of the Opera, if you really want to do a deep cut. Um, oh Jesus! <laughs> yes. yes. Um, if you want to go, was Argento, but um, and he did the facts in the case of M. Valdemar, the, the which is narrated by Julian Sands, 
But so then what's happened is there's a wraparound story that's not all that effective that has kind of weird kind of CGI animation, but every short is animated in a different way. And some of shorts are more effective than others, but they're all very sort of avant-garde, I would say. You know, there's no one short that looks exactly like the one that came before it. And the best ones are the ones that I think that go for something that's kind of very stark and, uh, you know, a different sort of visual tone. Because when they do Telltale Heart, the one that Lugosi narrates, I think visually that might be one of the most interesting. You know, it is, mm-hmm. it has the scratchy audio, but then it's the blacks and the whites and and it reminds me, one of my earliest memories of the Poe story, The Telltale Heart, was reading it in one of those classics illustrated books, you know, the little ones that were done almost like a mm-hmm. comic book. And they and it was done with those very contrasty, almost noir blacks and whites. And that's what's happening in this short film, and it's all animated. And with you've got that creepy, crunchy sort of Bela Lugosi soundtrack rolling, it's very, very cool. Uh, I also like the one that Christopher Lee, the, the Fall of the House of Usher, which is neat because, mm-hmm. you know, that story has a big grand Gothic display. And if you were trying to make that as live action, you know, Corman did it back in the day. It it becomes very expensive when you have to have an entire, you know, mansion crumble to the ground (laughs) at the end of this. But I think there's, there's a lot of uh, visual ingenuity goes here. Do I think every story is amazing? I, I don't, but I do like the experiment as a whole, which is it's kind of why I'm, I'm recommending them shorts because I think you watch any one of these and you're going to get the flavor of Poe and and they do stay pretty closely to Poe's language, to Poe's uh, in a lot of cases it's people reading the stories, you know, they've been edited a little bit, mm-hmm. but you've got these great vivid voices, you know um, Christopher Lee and, and Del Toro, he does an awesome job when he's reading the, the uh, Pit and the Pendulum and the animation styles that go with them. It's very effective. I love Edgar Allan Poe. I think it's a great, it's a good, like, uh, gateway, too. Uh, you know, you can kind of show this to a younger audience. It gets a PG-13. There's nothing particularly gruesome. I think there are images in The Mask of the Red Death. There's a few, like, sexual images, but nothing extreme, you know, that I think mm-hmm. that, you know, there may be some party goers who aren't wearing clothes in the background or something. But largely, I don't <laughs> think this is anything that would be particularly offensive or frightening, excessively frightening, creepy but not excessively frightening. I think it's very well done as a huge fan of Poe, obviously, you know, being here in Baltimore. I, uh, I love mm-hmm. this. I think this is a really cool experiment. Again, not everyone. Of, I don't think it's quite a classic. It might've, you know, they, they probably could have added a little bit more imagination. I also want to mention the Valdemar one that's voiced by Julian Sands. The character looks like Vincent Price, which is cool. They kind of yeah. animate him to look like Vincent Price. So I enjoy this one a lot. And I think you can find a lot of the shorts are on like YouTube or something like individually. However, a lot of uh, streaming services have this for free. I know Tubi has it on there for free right now. You see it on Tubi. Mm-hmm. I think you can see it uh, on Amazon maybe. Uh, Peacock. Peacock. Yeah, Peacock's got it. Um, so I, I like it a lot. Have you guys seen it? I, I, I've seen it and I'm with you. You know, I loved, loved that Bella, the telltale heart with Bella yeah. Lugosi. I love that. You're right. It's scratchy and it's a little rough around the edges, but the fact that we got Bella Lugosi narrating it is really cool. However, I think the Christopher Lee fall of the house of Usher probably is my favorite segment. Yeah, it's pretty cool. That. I think that one is really, really strong, and it leads off. That's the, that's the one that kicks off, you know, the movie. Uh, all of them are interesting. All of them are yeah. worth seeing. They really are. 
Um, but I loved the Christopher Lee Fall of the House of Usher, and I just have just a just a. Uh, I'm just a big Lugosi fan. Me you too. Know, yeah. I, I I just love Lugosi. I always did. I think Karloff ultimately was the stronger actor, but Lugosi gave his all in every. It didn't matter how crappy. And Bella Lugosi meets a Brooklyn Gorilla. I was about to say the exact same thing. Here. He gives everything he's got in that movie. What he in had those left. Crappy, yes. Yeah. In those crappy Ed Wood movies, Bride of the Monster and Glenn or Glenda. You see, I can still remember Lugosi some of his lines his from those movies. Oh, yeah. But, you know. Pulls the string. And they, they mock that. Pulls they mock the that in, in Ed Wood. He's like, you know, reviled, hunted, yeah. chased from my country. <laughs> but I will have my revenge. <laughs> I will have and, my revenge. It's funny because Bride of the Monster might be the best Ed Wood movie, which is not saying much. No, no. But, <laughs> it's a big bar to clear. <laughs> yeah. But but Lugosi always gave his all, and you hear it in the Telltale Heart, in him narrating that in this. Yeah, one. I think so those, those first two, I think, are the best. Yes, I love they're it. excellent, and and I, again, the one that Julian Sandstone's is cool too, because yeah. while you don't have the voice, you got the image of of Price, and so you get Price and Lugosi yeah. and 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 Karloff and the Gildam that Karloff, excuse me, Lee. Yes, yeah, and Del, that was cool because you hear it. And I'm it like, was. wait, it's. That's Guillermo del Toro reading that story. And that's, uh, it's just uh, them bringing Poe, you know, and, and, you know, you said Baltimore here in Philadelphia. Yeah. They have the Edgar Allan Poe house where, um, I went down there with, with my brother and, and my mother one time and we toured it and they took us in the basement and they say, if you read the black cat, you can see how he was inspired by this basement. And it shows you things where he, he wrote the black cat in that house. And he was inspired by that basement for some of the scenes. And it was really cool to see that. Dave and I've talked about this before, but, uh, and this is off the topic of animation, but go see, if you're hearing this, check out the Masters of Horror episode, The Black Cat, with yes. Jeffrey Combs playing My Edgar all-time Allan favorite. That is my favorite. Directed by Stuart Gordon. Absolutely, yes, it, it is. is awesome. The best one. It's amazing. And it got, uh, yeah, they, it kind of uh, scored Combs a gig playing Poe, you know. Uh, beyond that episode too. Oh, he so, was great. Yeah. And the scene I always remember in that where he where he talks to the bartender about hey, he can stand on one finger. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to give it away. Yeah. <laughs> but I love that. And you you know, it shows you Poe, it shows you Poe's strengths and it shows you Poe's weaknesses. Yes, yeah. In that does. Masters of Heart. It shows you how his alcoholism and his, his the way he just couldn't handle money. It's, yeah, it's far better than that. Ray, the Raven, that movie, the big budget movie that John, um, who was it? Uh, John Cusack. John Cusack was. John, I don't. Yes. That wasn't necessarily a horrible movie, but I, I think that was a very surface level thriller that just happened to have Poe. You know? I think you can get a lot more yeah. out of the Masters of Horror, uh, the Black Cat, yeah. than you than you probably could out of the Raven. I agree with you. Um, but this was a good sampler platter, particularly if the you know I showed it to my kids. It's a great like kind of. Gateway, particularly if someone's like, oh, I don't know about Poe, you know, a lot of his stuff, it may not be as appealing initially to people who don't, you know, younger audiences who don't know him and are used to something even being a little bit more in your face scary or something like that. This was a great sort of way to introduce them. My, my daughter was very, like, fascinated by 
nice. by this and a great way to introduce them to Lugosi and all these other, other guys if they yes. don't already know them you know right if you're if you're a if you're a horror parent like like we are the kids probably already know who Lugosi is my, <laughs> my daughter's like that's Dracula reading that but you know uh <laughs> it, it's it's a good it's a good one either way so let's move into talking about the movie so we each picked a movie Dave I'll start with you this time animated horror or or something uh, for the for the holiday, for the season, what did you pick? All right. Well, the movie I went with is a 2009 film from Leica Studios. And their first movie that they released, it is a film called Coraline. Now, I watched this movie again tonight. Um, this was recommended. Just I just want to throw it out there. It was recommended by my coworker, uh, Christian, uh, who is um, actually uh, he's, he's becoming an animator. He's, he's studying to become an animator. Um, he's going to, to school for it. And this is when he said that always scared the hell out of him. Well, I got to tell you, there are part, there are things in Coraline, I think. Um, and we're going to talk about another Leica film tonight. But there are things in Coraline, I think, that are more terrifying than anything they've done since. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You, you know, without a doubt, uh, just to set it up, uh, and this is again from 2009, was directed by Henry Selleck. Yeah, who, Nightmare Before Christmas. Um, Nightmare Before Christmas, James and the Giant Peach. He had a lot of other films that he did. Um, Monkey Bone, but no one's counting that. <laughs> right, yeah, right. <laughs> um, quick synopsis, having just moved to the Pink Palace which is a former Victorian mansion that's been split into several apartments. Coraline Jones, voiced by Dakota Fanning, finds that there's not much for an 11-year-old to do. What's more, her new neighbors, a pair of retired stage actors named Miss Spink and Miss Forcible, which I think is funny because that was uh, French and Saunders. <laughs> yeah. Hearing the voices of those two. Oh, my gosh. Absolute, those. Absolutely fabulous. <laughs> yes. Absolutely fabulous. Yeah. Very Rubenesque, if my memory yeah. serves. <laughs> exactly. And a Russian acrobat, Mr. Babinski, played by Ian, or voiced by Ian McShane. I, you know what? I just can't hear Ian McShane. I can't see Ian McShane without thinking of two things Sexy Beast from 2000 yeah. and Deadwood. Yep. <laughs> those are the two things when I think of Ian McShane, I think of. Um, and he voices um, uh, Mr. Babinski, another one of their neighbors. They're very peculiar, uh, and they don't make for good company. Uh, even Wyborn, voiced by Robert Bailey Jr., who's a kid who lives nearby with his grandmother, they're not much of a companion for, for young Coraline. And her parents, voiced by Terry Hatcher and John Hog Hodgman, uh, are so engrossed in their work that they don't have a lot of time for her. You know, Coraline's sort of this young girl. She's angry, and you're not really sure why she's angry until you see her interact with her parents. And you see how they just don't really have any time for her. And they're just kind of like, leave us alone. We're working. Both of them are writers. They work on a catalog about plants or seeds or something. Um, and they don't have a lot of time for her. Well, they just moved to this new house, like I said, the Pink Palace, and young Coraline is sort of exploring. She finds a small door covered over with wallpaper that, when it's opened, leads to this fascinating world, one that looks like a more interesting version of her own surroundings. 
she meets here her other mother and father, also voiced by Hatcher and Hodgman, uh, who, instead of working, spend their time catering to Coraline's every need and desire. But there's a stray black cat that hangs around, voiced by Keith David. He's probably my favorite yeah. in this movie. I loved Keith David, the way he voiced that cat. Genius casting, too. It really was. Um, and he, you know, that he, he talks about the, this bizarre universe, how, how Coraline's other mother is not as friendly as she appears and is playing to trick her into staying in this alternate reality with her forever. That's what it is. There's something about this movie. There is such a creepy vibe. There is beauty in this film. When she's in that other universe, it's very interesting how they sort of um, uh, parallel the real world with the other world. The, the real world is drab. It's rainy. It's muddy. It's dirty. You know, it's not very interesting. But when Coraline goes to the other world through that door, it's vibrant. It's colorful. It's beautiful. There's a sequence where her father's out working in the garden in the other, the other father. Yes. It's out working in the garden and they pull back. What a beautiful moment that is. You know, it's really something special. So you're building up this, this other, the, the other world as being better than Coraline's real existence. And you're thinking, hell yeah, go for it. Get in there. And then there's a scene where she angers the other mother. The other mother throws her in this, I don't know, almost like a dungeon type room. And she encounters the, the spirits of these little children who explained to her, yes, we've been, you know, we were duped. We were pulled into this world thinking it would be better. And she stole our identities and now we're stuck in this world. This is a very dark, I mean, this, I remember Chris, Christian telling me that this movie scared him when he was growing up. And I can see why. Did you see this, are, Dave, when it first came out, or did, was today I the did first not. time? I saw. You know what? I no, it was not the first okay. time today. I saw it on when it came out on Blu-ray, probably about 2010, yeah. mm -hmm. is when I first saw it, and it is as beautiful as it is, and as much as I love Leica, and we'll get into that a little bit more later because we have another movie coming up for them. I love. I, I love what they've done. This movie is disturbing and it's frightening. You have, you know, the other mother, the other father have button eyes. All the characters in the other world have button eyes. And there's just something just very disturbing about that. But the disturb but the but the horror goes even beyond that into these these little these little kids who who have had their basic basically their souls have been locked away. Um, there's just, you realize that there's just something very sinister in this movie. And I think it captures it perfectly even more so. And the next movie we're going to talk about from Leica is probably my favorite. I love it. But I think in Coraline, they capture the horror even a little bit more. This is a legitimate horror movie. Like Coraline yeah. is a horror story with a horror creature with a, with a, with a antagonist. It's every bit as frightening as a Freddy Krueger or a 
or a you know Grimm's fairy tale witch. You know what I mean? Like in in le- legitimately, I mean these kids, their souls mm-hmm. are there because they've essentially been eaten. Yeah, so they've been right. they've been spiritually devoured, which is a horrifying concept in and of itself. And yet, the movie is beautiful to look it at, really is. and the story yeah. is compelling. This is based off of a Neil Gaiman story, which that should tell you there because Gaiman's a, a wonderful. I mean, wonderful. He's an amazing storyteller. He can tell great stories. And if you're a parent out there and listen, this Coraline, it's you, you know. It could freak young kids out, but the book is very good too. And he, he wrote another book called The Graveyard Book that Henry Selleck was for a long time trying to get off the ground. It's a shame that that one has not been made yet. It's a play off of The Jungle Book, you know, The Graveyard Book. Uh, Jungle Book was about a boy whose parents were killed and he was raised by wolves. This is about a boy whose parents were killed and he's raised by ghosts in a graveyard. Oh, and wow. it will make one day, it'll make a fantastic movie, but it would have made an amazing movie, I think, under Selleck in this style. This movie comes out in 2009. Uh, I remember seeing it at the theater, and I had one of the worst days I can probably ever remember having. One of those moments when I was like reexamining my career and all these different things. And I <laughs> and I had already bought tickets to this movie to go with the, with uh, my wife and my sister. And we went to this movie, and I was like a million miles away. And this movie started, and I was right back. And I was right back to where I was as like a 10 year old kid. You know, this movie captures that what it's like when it's raining outside and you're stuck inside and your mind goes to all these places. And, you know, Greg, you were saying your imagination drives you. And sometimes it, it drives you even when you don't want to, you don't want to take the ride. And that's (laughs) the thing when you, when does it get loose? And, and the, the, but there's so many wonderful images here. The gravy train, the little train that drives around and brings you the gravy at the dinner table. But then all the parents have button eyes, you know, all the characters in the world have the button eyes. And then the the bell dam, when you finally see that thing, holy shnikes, that's terrifying. Yeah. And, uh, you know, even to the very end. And, and I mentioned Freddy Krueger. We get some we get some Nightmare on Elm Street kind of oh, imagery. Yeah, there it's, it's the not end. far off. It's Certainly not. not far off. Yep. <laughs> the only thing is lacking is the is the actual blood. You know, I mean, the story <laughs> goes full horror, but it also goes full beauty. This came out 2009. This was the year everybody I saw this movie actually in 3D. And if they were, you know, 3D is a gimmick that seems to be now on its way out. But at that time, this is the year of Avatar, right? When you yep. go to the other father's garden, which is lit up in neon lights, I think that's more beautiful than anything I saw in the Avatar film. Uh, you know, it, mm-hmm. it the style of the stop motion is wonderful. Keith David is that cat. And Keith David voiced an, a series in the 90s. You might remember this great called Gargoyles. I was uh, my siblings watched it and I sat down and ended up watching it with them. Uh, it's one of Keith David chalks it up as one of the best things he's think he's, he thinks he's ever done. Uh, and it was really well done, and he is a, he's a kind of commanding sense in that. It seems like whoever who cast him as the cat kind of saw gargoyles because he's he's great there. Even they might be giants has a song. They write the song, the other father song about Coraline that he sings. Uh, so there's lots of weird little loopy things. Those 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 uh, people who live in the in the apartment complex with her are super strange. It has a very roll doll sensibility. Yes, it, it really does. Yes, absolutely. You're right about that. I, I was thinking the same thing. It really does. And I love that. It's funny because you you you, you see the, the actual people as opposed to the other. Yeah. It's so cool. It really is so cool the way that because they're not far off. This is a, like they're a 10 out of 10 so for me. Off. I love this yeah. movie. Um, there's a, For people out there who enjoy this sort of thing. When I saw this, when I read Coraline, it's very similar to this last person you would have thought of read, 
write children's books, but he's actually written several of them, and they're actually very good. Uh, Clive Barker wrote a book in the 90s called The Thief of Always. And The Thief oh, wow. of Always is very similar to Coraline, about a monster who takes who, who lures in bored children and essentially imprisons them inside of the house. The house and the monster are the same. And uh, it's got a lot of those tones. So if you're looking for something fun, uh, but creepy for your kids. I mean, this is Clyde Barker, so there's none of that weird psychosexual stuff that usually shows up. Nobody's <laughs> wearing anybody's skin. Uh, he also did a series called Aberat, so check those out. But what did you think about this one, Greg? Uh, yeah, for the studio, which we said, like, uh, they uh, knocked it right out of the park, right out of the gate. Um, and, the, and the story of that, of that studio is fabulous. Um, but you guys are spot on with all the creepiness that this movie exudes. Um, it's not that I haven't seen it enough is probably yeah. my issue, but it's because I've tried to share this with my kids. This one, <laughs> Mine too. They it, freak out. And it's, it's not, it's not my kids, but they're like, nah, <laughs> nice. nope. Good. Yes. and so nope. Yep. So I'll be watching it and then they'll be like, Hey, you gotta stop that dad. <laughs> <laughs> and so i it's been a while since i've actually seen it all the way through without being interrupted i should just create time but of course there's always something else that creeps in um but yeah it's it's not my favorite from the studio but it's definitely everything that those guys touch it's gold so if you haven't seen Coraline, yeah. definitely it's uh it's Shout out to Terry Hatcher too, because she know you know I don't think she ever gets any like a lot of praise or anything. Oh yeah, she's she really best. good in this. Yeah, yes, she was the best character in this because she's playing basically three different characters. Yeah, it's almost that Peter Pan thing movie. when you when you have you know in in many of the the stage versions and even the 2003 version of Peter Pan, you know, where the person who's playing the father is also playing Captain Hook, and you get some of that going on here, which is yeah. which is pretty cool. Yep, I agree. Absolutely, you get, you get the 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 mother who just seems distant and and um, separate. You know, uh, from Coraline, just sort of leave me alone. I'm working. They're like hip Seattle the, art parents, and they have no time yes, for her. <laughs> yeah, to to the other mother who's very <laughs> loving, to this very demonic. I know, I, I know, demonic, but yeah, I think, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, demonic. You, you eat yeah, children's definitely. souls. You get, you, you can be a little bit, yeah, uh... absolutely. <laughs> and she's all three of them, and convincing as all three of them. And you reminded me of something. It's been a been a bit been a minute since I've seen this too. You're right. The other mother, the other care, the the the, the, the button eye people in the other world are not the monster. They are the monster's puppets. So they're still yes. kind of people too, which is another level of horror because they're sort of yes. trapped. They're just ciphers. <laughs> you see that when she has that scene with the father. Yes. So disturbing. And, and the father's like, oh, we shouldn't, we can't talk while mother's uh, not yeah. here. And, you know, you just start to realize, whoa, you know, <laughs> because you're, because initially you're thinking the Coraline, like you want her to be part of this world. When yeah. you see the way she's relating to her real parents, and she goes into this world, and the and and the other mother and the other father are just so attentive and giving her things. You think, I can see her wanting to be part of this. That scene with the other father, where he says, "Oh, we can't talk while mother the other mother while mother is not here," and everything. 
you that that's the moment you realize no it's when the cat bites the little mouse and it becomes yeah. a rat and then followed immediately by that by the other father saying oh we can't talk while the other mother's not here you realize no there's something very very wrong yeah in this other universe and that's when you start to see it and the cool part is that's only halfway through the movie there's a lot more to go. Yeah, it sounds like we've spoiled things. We really haven't. There's a very no, we haven't. World. That's the halfway. That's the halfway point of the movie. One of the subplots here it gives a it is like almost an invitation for children not to keep dolls. You know what I mean? Like yes, when you right. realize what's going on with the dolls and like how the the part they play in this, you're like, wow, you didn't want any part of their childhood not scarred, did you, Neil Gaiman? Good job. <laughs> but and i don't think it's really a scarring movie it's 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 a it's a dark fantasy it's not it is but it is a horror story but i think it has so much to recommend it and it's a good one if you can watch it with the kids that's the way to see this one yes and we're going to talk about a movie now that i like a little you know later on we're going to talk about a movie from like a, that i like a little bit more but yet of the two of them i think Coraline is the stronger horror film. Yeah, yeah. It's uh it goes it goes right for the the it is the horror story. I think the other one we're talking about he uses horror tropes to tell a comedy yes. story and this yeah. is horror. <laughs> There's horror in that other one yeah. too, but uh, Greg, how about your movie choice? Okay. Um I'm going to go with a movie that came out in 2006 and this was a, a rarity, if 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 I can, um, at, 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 in tw- in two thousand and six, I was shoot, I don't even know how old I was, uh, twenty eight, and for me to to go into a theater and to feel like a little kid again is a magic yeah. feeling, and for movies to do that, it did, and I didn't just see this once in the theater. I actually went and saw it three times in the theater and two of those times were in 3d because it was so cool. This was during the Renaissance or the, the, I shouldn't say the Renaissance. This was when they brought back 3d and this movie was monster house. And when I immediately saw the trailer, I knew this was right up my alley. And I think I even had a private screening I mean, in all honesty, because there was not a lot of people in the theater. It's impressive uh, that you saw it three times in the theater Um, because it came out in the summer 2006 and it was out for like a hot minute and then gone. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, I didn't want to miss it. But then I thought maybe I wanted to know what it was going to translate from 3D to the no D, you know, to 2D. Um because I initially saw it in 3D and it was just, it, it has everything that you would want for a 3D movie. But then the 2D, it translates yeah. okay. I think that there's a layer that is missing. And talking with individuals, and now that it's 15 years old, geez, oh, pizza's so long ago, um, they, uh, they don't like it. And it's because of the the it was still during the the capture motion and uh, the Robert oh, yeah. this even though this it, 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 even though this was directed by uh, a guy named Gil Kennan, um, it still had that Ro- Robert Zemeckis touch. 
So speaking of eyes and buttons, um, the eyes are kind of dead. And so, you know, like um, with the Polar Express was where a lot of people are are creeped out by that one because of the eyes. So they tried to remedy that with this, uh, with actually just using more clay cartoon looking kind of kids that were and and they all acted it out on us on a huge stage and they were all captured and uh the behind the scenes is just a wonderful thing um i've watched this movie way too many times and i, I keep talking about a movie that i haven't even talked about what's going on in the movie yet so <laughs> it's yeah. it's because i the instant that i was invited to this episode i was like I hope nobody picks Monster House. I hope nobody picks Monster House. Even if somebody picks Monster House, I get to rave about it and gush about it. But I mean, the the general plot is there's there's three kids, um, and it's DJ and his and his little buddy Chowder. <laughs> the greatest name for a kid ever. <laughs> and he is such a little spaz, yeah. but it, it's he's so funny. And um, but DJ's parents they're going out of town, and they're voiced by the um fred Fred willard and fred willard and Catherine o'hara and it is in the instant that you hear their voice you just know and fred willard just has that voice that you just you just smile and uh, again i gush about but um dj lives across the street from i would just label it as a haunted house um and the neighbor's name is nebercracker and he has the infamous line of "Get off of my yard, kid." <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Steve Buscemi basically and playing Gollum in clothes. <laughs> yes, yes, and it's oh a great role. Um, and to fast forward, Chowder loses his basketball, and the house eats any any toy that lands on the yard. It, it captures it, so um, they are on a mission to get it back, but. Of course, they accidentally give Nebocracker uh, a heart attack and he has to go to the hospital and they think that he's dead. So now they're like, they got this mission and then this this little girl, she comes along and um, her name's Jenny and she's selling Girl Scout cookies or candy, candy, not Girl Scout cookies. She's selling candy for she's the scamming. school. scamming is what she's and, doing. <laughs> and so she's scamming and yeah, and DJ's uh, DJ's babysitter is Z and her and her boyfriend's name is Bones and Bones is voiced by Jason Lee and oh it's, yeah Maggie it's Gyllenhaal just, is one is thing Z or, or yeah. another oh yeah 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 and John yes. Heater who is still flying um, from Napoleon Dynamite is like the kid in the arcade yep, <laughs> yep. he's the supernatural yeah. expert named Skull and (laughs) he he's a pizza delivery boy but in the meantime he has to play this video game before he can deliver his pizza and oh it's 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 just such a uh, it has action it has suspense it has horror my kids again they get very fearful of this one because of the house but they love to mock nebocracker so they'll walk around the house always pulling nebocracker dj jenny and chowder make their way into the house and they are bound and determined to solve this mystery um <laughs> of course nebocracker comes back in the uh, right amount of time and he reveals some stories about you know 
everything that is needed about the house and the kids need to take this house out so in hilarious fashion chowder gets a hold of a backhoe <laughs> mini excavator or just a giant excavator really and of course uh, dj has a, a huge crush on the on the girl jenny even though chowder also has a crush and it's hilarity ensues because he's the third wheel the entire time but um again i have to gush about the 3d and I would actually, if I could ever have the, the opportunity to see this in, in a theater in 3D or a really nice home theater, um, yeah, it would it, it's worth it. It's really a, a neat movie. Um, I can't I, I wish I could remember who I had a discussion with about it, but when 3D is utilized the best is with fire and smoke and embers. Yes and fog anything that can give a, a layered you were absolutely right because in and this movie has it all from the opening sequence of a little girl on a tricycle the leaves, leaves it's the leaves down. we saw this in 3d because we went out the very yes. first weekend it came out like you okay. that leaf that yeah. leaf comes down and it has that tim burton sort of music mm-hmm. the danny elfman style mm-hmm. and that the leaves come down i had seen that the 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 3d on Polar Express was was great. You know, it was amazing. Forget the animation mm-hmm. stuff, but those leaves coming down and the little girl on the tricycle and, and weaving through the town, and then when they're later inside the house, mm-hmm. and I was giggling because the line he says, "Oh, that's the uvula," and then Chowder says, "Oh, it's a girl house." <laughs> and uh, <laughs> but that yes, the animation's oh. beautiful. It's another one that's a legitimate horror story. Like there's a ghost story when they reveal the mm-hmm. background story. That background story is as poignant as anything in like, you know, the haunting or whether, you know, it's a classic ghost story, like what's happening there. And it kind of reminds me of the burbs. I just watched the burbs. You know, it dawns on me that the burbs is a movie about kids, but the kids are all 40 years old. And here in here in the monster <laughs> land or monster house, it's the same kind of deal. So um, I like it. I loved it. I still like it. I, I I see what you're saying about the animation. I was a little surprised it didn't catch on. And a big disappointment to me was that Gil Kenan made this movie. They hire him to do the Poltergeist remake, and none of what he brings to this movie is on screen in that movie. Go figure. Yeah. I. I who who, yeah. who knows? Um, but it's yeah. This this movie is quintessential halloween yeah. for me it takes place on halloween uses halloween as a backdrop from the uh, origin story of the house all the way to the present day where chowder and dj dj being yeah. at that age of can i still go trick-or-treating or not am i too you know am i too old and you know it's just an endearing last time that these two get to go trick-or-treating like in the world of stand by me or any of those other coming of age movies this is that this is that last bit of childhood for these these kids because they realize that this way forward they're now going to be adults and chowder of course makes it a little bit more dramatic with some of his lines that he says but in, yeah. in a jokingly manner, because I, um, I like that you mentioned that though, yeah, I, because I, that's one of the things about these stories. Oh, like Halloween for me was always that when as I started to get older and it came creeping close to okay, is this the last Halloween you're going trick or treat? You know, more than anything else, it was all that melancholy because you know 
Christmas and things like that aren't that effective. But you get to the point of Halloween, you're like, and later, and you get older, and you have kids, and or you 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 know you watch a horror movie every single day for 31 days. You find other ways to celebrate. Mm-hmm. But in that, when you're a young kid, is one of those things that has as a melancholy the day after. I don't know if it was the sugar crash or eating 32, you know, Reese's peanut butter cups. But there's always a melancholy after that. And and a lot of these stories do have that in there. Um, Dave, have you seen the Monster House? You know, I'm I'm looking up now on I I have a um an Excel spreadsheet of of like uh, viewing time? my viewing log of when I've seen movies. Need to take a shower. And why? I did see this movie Do back you this in upstairs? 2006 when it was released. Yeah. I saw it August 6th. I'll take a shower. Um, and but I haven't seen it since then, so I don't remember a lot about it. But I did see this movie. I took my kids to see it. And my rating is 4.5 out of 5 is what I gave this film. Oh, cool. Yeah. It was like a 4.5. And then you said, okay, out of 5. 4.5 out of 5. Yeah. That's what I gave it. And I saw it. um, It's funny because I'm looking here. I'm looking at 2006, my viewing line from 2006. I saw it the same day that um, at home I watched two movies, Winged Migration and inside deep throat. Yes. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> That's a very de- wing migration is wonderful. By I the way, I love wing think, migration. Yeah. I think it's one of the great documentaries. Yeah. I love the the. It's a beautiful movie. I don't we remember a lot about one, one inside. <laughs> I don't remember a lot about inside deep throat, but I actually watched no, that I don't first. Either. <laughs> <laughs> but Monster House is lovely. I think it's great. And when tonight my kids were saying, "Well, which movies that we were at the dinner table and they were talking, we were like, "Oh, what are you recording tonight?" And I told them and. They want to know which movies, and I said that Greg had picked Monster House, and they cheered, and uh, and I mentioned Coraline, and I said we're going to rewatch it soon, and they went and they shuddered. So, <laughs> <laughs> but um, so I'll, I'll cover my movie, and then we'll kind of get in. We'll, uh, we'll I'll go through this a little bit quickly, pick up the pace, and and then we'll talk about the two the two last ones. But uh, my movie. I think dovetails perfectly with the other two that we've had. Um, I think it's a little bit more gentle. It's not essentially a full horror story, but it fits in perfectly with the melancholy elements. We're talking about the fall elements. Uh, This is the Halloween tree based off of the book by Ray Bradbury. And it came out in 1993. Uh, For me, this would have been when, you know, it was definitely Halloween. I would maybe go to Halloween parties, but if I'm going trick or treating, it's because I'm taking my 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 siblings at this point, you know. Uh, so 1993, it comes out. It's directed by Mario Peluso. This was actually, I remember specifically. I think TNT did a. It was an original film for them, and it was animated. It's television animation, but it's also it's actually pretty well done. It's 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 a great looking movie. It is it screams the fall like the visual color palette of this thing is amazing the illustrations themselves are wonderful uh the voice cast on this ray bradbury himself narrates the film and worked on the script for it so bradbury and that sensibility he brings to stories about kids and about growing up and coming of age uh it's always wonderful it tells a story of these kids who it's halloween and they're these four kids are instead of going out trick-or-treating they are chasing their sick friend who's in the hospital his soul has run off and they are concerned that if his soul doesn't come back that he won't survive the night and so they are chasing 
this soul and they chase it to the house of Mr. Moundshroud, who's a, who's about as creepy as you might imagine somebody named Mr. Moundshroud would be. He is voiced by Leonard Nimoy, who is excellent in the role here. You don't, you don't and, even know that's Leonard Nimoy. No, you, you really, really don't. don't. It's cackly, yeah. creaky voice. He's but he's having so much fun with yes. it. Uh, and it's that's what's amazing about it. But you, but that commanding sensibility that Nimoy has uh, comes across here. And he introduces the he takes them out back of this crumbling mansion. It looks like the Adams family maybe just left it because they needed a you know something that wasn't such a dump. And when you go out back, he's got this tree, and hanging from this tree are all these pumpkins, which he. Uh, basically lets them know that these are souls yeah. in these pumpkins. Mm-hmm. And then what's weird is in order to to chase Pip, who is the, the, the lost soul who's running, basically Moundshroud takes them. What becomes, what's interesting, becomes like an educational tour through the Halloween really cool. of yesteryear. I love that. Yes. It, was, it was Egypt. It was the Celts, or the sort of Celtic yes. uh, religion. The- it was... The French cathedral. The French cathedral. Uh, the, 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 um, uh, with, uh, what, the, um, the hunchback. The yeah, and the hu- yes. gargoyles. And then leading into, um, oh, God, what was the last one? The Day of the yeah, Dead. Yeah, the Day of the Dead because in the Mexico. The dead. In the Day of the Dead. Yes. That was so cool. And they, they even yes. come back through to America, the, the, uh, you know, the, 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 um, Protestants, you know, in yeah. America at one point, there's a little chunk of that too. It's an ama- it's, it's amazingly uh, beautiful too. I think for for TV animation, they get a lot of evocative feel from it, and it's a really really fun. Like uh, and like you said, Dave, it's very interesting because Bradbury weaves this story about these kids trying to find their friend, and Nimoy's Moundtrout. He's not the villain. He's just a very creepy character. Yes. Who he's their guide. He's but like you start to realize as you're yeah. watching this, you know, you realize early on what's really going on here. You know, with yeah. with going after Pip, uh, their friend, who you know, uh, th- these these four young kids, um, they were all waiting to see Pip, and they get to his house, and he's being wheeled away in an ambulance, and he has appendicitis, and it could be very serious. You realize what's going on early on in the movie, but it doesn't detract from it. You know, even if you figured out what's going on with Pip and him disappearing with this pumpkin, um, and yeah. and 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 Mount Traub trying to say, "Oh, I, you know, he he owes me a debt. He's overdue." You know what's going on, but every time it's so cool because in each of the segments, all of the kids are wearing costumes somehow related to yes, those time segment, periods. The witch. Yeah, the witch with with um the skeleton. Yeah, and the yeah. skeleton uh, or what was it from uh from uh, or the, from the uh from the from the ancient Egypt and they the mummy. Yeah, yeah, they all have a moment with Pip's sort of spirit that's um you know that you see the friendship, you know, you see the camaraderie. Yeah. Between the characters, I thought that was really cool about it, and I knew right away. One of the, I loved that Ray Bradbury uh, narrated this. I love yes. that Ray Bradbury did that because he wrote the story, and you know, you recognize his voice right off the top, you know. And I love that about it, um, and seeing and having Leonard Nimoy in there as Moundtrap, like you said, every now and again you catch it as Leonard Nimoy, but for the most part, it's 
a performance and he's doing a great job and you don't know that it's Leonard Nimoy. I'd say 90% of the time you think it yeah, is not you, Leonard Nimoy. Every 10% you're like, oh, I catch him there. <laughs> I hear Spock. I can hear Spock a little bit in what he's talking about there, but not often. <laughs> no, and I, I think this is a masterpiece, honestly. Like it for, for what they're working with here and what they do, because we were talking about just straight traditional animation and not a lot of money to put it together. But I think it's it is wonderful. And we, this is one that every year we put the projector out in the front yard and we play this for the kids as they come oh, up, you awesome. know. And, and, and so, uh, and whoever has, who, who draws the straw that has to stay by behind and give the candy to the kids gets to watch it too. <laughs> but um, but it's just a beautiful, and I, I such a, I don't think, I, I think it's on DVD, but this one could really, I would love to see this in a high def. This needs, someone needs to, make a special edition i have the this dvd streaming i have the dvd yeah. i don't have um the blue uh, there is no blu-ray yeah but i have it there on is DVD. no blu-ray it, yeah uh, this is screaming i think for uh like a like uh someone to sort of rediscover it yeah. because i don't think many people know of it they may have known the book but have you seen this one greg um I your description is is drawing a blank for me. I'm gonna have it's to see really this good. out because it really sounds intriguing. It, is. And, it, wor- and it good. works as a kids' and, movie, and it um, works as just a very educational film too. Yeah, and as someone who just you love Halloween, you need yes. to see the movie. And good news is, oh, sure. you know, shout out to Van Vagel Television. It's on Tubi right now, wow. um, and, and which is really, I mean, honestly, before this. I have a copy of it like you do, Dave, on DVD that honestly, ironically, I probably bought out of a Walmart bin for $5, but now it's probably $78 on, you know, if you're trying to buy it off of eBay or something. And uh, before it was, you know, you can find it on YouTube, but it is on Tubi. It may be other places, but I see for sure that it is on Tubi. So that's Um, awesome. Definitely. People should check it out. out. They really should. Yeah, I'm going to put the link there. I think this is a great one to watch at the Halloween season. I think this is one that if you see it once, it might become a regular viewing. Yeah. And all three of these, honestly, Halloween Train, Monster House, uh, and Coraline, they are top of the – these are – all three of these are movies that if you're a parent, you – I would absolutely – you know, first off, I saw them all when I didn't have kids. And I watched them happily without kids. <laughs> and they're good for kids, but they're, you should not hesitate to watch them. They are they're excellent, all three of them. And in my opinion, the two we're about to talk about are in perfect company with them. So um, let's start out with the one that uh, – because uh, I know, Dave, one of these you didn't get yes. to see. But um, I'm basically going to use that as an opportunity for, for – for Dave and I mean, excuse me, for Greg and I to convince you, you need to see it. But before we do that, let's talk about the one of the two movies here is another Leica movie, and it's Paranorman. And uh, Dave, do you want to? Because you were alluding to that earlier, do you want to set that one up? Yeah, for us? absolutely. Um, Paranorman again, like you said, it's a Leica film, um, and it's I saw this in the theater. Now I saw this in three D. I'm pretty sure that the, yeah, I'm, I remember this, seeing this in yep. 3D with my youngest son. And I loved it. There's something, you know, 3D works in animation. It works it great does. in yeah. animation. It doesn't work in, in live action. Because I remember seeing one of the amazing Spider-Mans in 3D with my sons. And it just didn't wow me. I just didn't care. 
and you know, forget about uh, Lucas doing uh, Star Wars. Um, what was that first one? What was the, what was episode one? Phantom, Phantom Menace. Menace. He he redid that in three D. It looked weird. Oh, it, it looked, looked like, like somebody had just forms. poured. It looked like color forms yes, moving it. around. That's it exactly. Yeah. It looked like someone had poured when you pour water on a piece of paper and it puffs yeah, up. Yeah, it, it was. That's it what was, it looked like. It like was you said. pure yeah. shit. It was pure <laughs> shit. And I'm so glad they only did that once and never did it again. Because yeah. I, you know, I didn't want to have to pay to see that. That was the first time I saw Phantom Menace on the big screen. To be honest with you, I didn't catch it the first run. Um, mm. and boy, it, it was shit. But anyway. So if there's any way to make it more disappointing, it sounds like they did it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Paranormal looked great in 3D. But one of the things now, when, when it comes to Leica, they do stop motion. And yeah. the other person that comes to mind when you think stop motion is the great Ray Harryhausen. He took, he was more, I think, than a stop motion animator. He took his miniatures and turned them into characters that felt alive. Even when you know what you're watching is artificial. You fully believe that the harpies and Jason and the Argonauts, the troglodyte in Sinbad and the Eye of the Tiger, yeah. and Medusa in Clash of the Titans Holy are crap, living, yeah. <laughs> breathing creatures. You believe it. You know they're not, but you believe that they're real. They're characters. They're not special Exactly, yeah. yeah. The gang at Leica Studios continues that trend. I think they did it with Coraline. They did it with the box trolls and especially Kubo and the two strings. Kubo and the two strings. I love that oh, movie. That is my second favorite film of 2016 yeah. behind only train to Busan. I loved that movie. Uh, Kubo and the two strings. They've carried on the tradition of Ray Harryhausen proving to the world yeah. that you can take armature, uh, armatures, latex and fabric and make them come alive. Paranorman may just be the studio's masterpiece. As much as I love Kubo, and I love Kubo, I think it's a great movie, I think Paranorman might be their masterpiece. Just to set it up, Norman Babcock, voiced by Cody Smith-McPhee, is an 11-year-old boy living in the town of Blythe Hollow, Massachusetts. But Norman is no ordinary kid. He can communicate with the dead. His grandmother may have passed on, but that hasn't kept her from offering Norman advice or watching horror movies on TV with him. That's one of the great things. The setup of this movie is Norman sitting there watching a movie with his grandmother. And it isn't until like the next scene that you realize the grandmother has passed on and you start to learn something uh, about Norman. Um, Norman can see just about anyone or anything that has died but not moved on. And he will always stop to say hello to them. Of course, having a talent such as this had made Norman something of an outcast. Uh, his mother, voiced by Leslie Mann, is supportive. You know, she kind of uh, supports Norman. Um, but uh, his dad, Jeff Garland, anyone who has seen, uh, what is it, the Goldbergs. The Goldbergs. will know who Jeff Garland is, you know. Uh, There's a great early scene when those two, when you're talking about the, the mother who's very kind of uh, nurturing and the, the father who just doesn't understand. And he's like positioned between their stomachs. You yeah, know? It's like, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> he's like sitting in the middle as they talk down on him. Exactly. Um, and he's lost patience with Norman. He believes he's got an active imagination. He's not really seeing the dead. His older sister, Courtney, 
voiced by Anna Kendrick, uh, thinks Norman's a weirdo. You know, he's absolutely insane. At school, things are especially tough for poor Norman. His only friend is fellow outcast Neil, uh, Tucker Albrezizi, who voices him. Uh, you know, and Neil's brother, Mitch, Casey Affleck, is the star quarterback of the football team. And every day, the school's bully, Alvin, played by Christopher Mintz Plass. Can anybody think of Christopher Mintz Plass and not think of McLovin? I absolutely <laughs> think McLovin. I know he was in, he was in, what was, oh God, what was that? Um, oh God, those, the, the, um, the action movies. God, what was that that he did with Nicolas Cage? And, oh shit. Oh, what, were the, what, were the, what were those, what were those? Um, he, yeah. he played like the, the evil oh, guy. Man. Oh God damn it! Why is that name escaping me? Oh, kick ass! Kick ass. Oh, yes, kick ass. He played because <laughs> he played. That a, was why he was not a good evil Ed because you only saw McLovin. Yes, exactly. But he was in Kick Ass. Mm-hmm. But he, for me, he will always be McLovin. He's the school bully. He voices the school bully in in that one, um, and he makes Norman's life a living hell. But on top of everything, his crazy great uncle, Mr. Prendergast, Prendergast, play, uh, voiced by John Goodman, has informed Norman that he and he alone must take up the mantle of protecting Blythe Hollow from an evil witch who centuries earlier swore revenge against the seven individuals who condemned her to death. Should Norman fail, the dead will rise from their graves and the witch will take control of the entire town. What I really, there are several things that I love about Paranorman. Okay. One of the things I love about it is the character of Norman himself. Okay. Yes. I loved that character again, voiced by Cody Smith McPhee. He did a great job. But there's a scene early on after he sort of, you know, the scene with his family where he says, I've talked to the grandmother and she wants you to turn the heat up because her feet are cold. And the father's like, what are you talking about? Your grandmother's dead. She's, you know, (laughs) there's a scene where Norman is walking to school. And initially he's walking down the street, talking to nobody. He says, hello, how are you? Good to see you. He goes over to a to a roadkill, a goddamn road a raccoon who's been run over in the road and goes, hey, little guy. He's like petting him. But then the camera swoops and you see what Norman sees. The streets are lined with ghosts, with spirits. And Norman stops to say hello to every one of them. In a lot of movies, when you're dealing with kids who have this sort of um, talent, and I'm looking at the sixth sense, they hide it. They're afraid of it. They're embarrassed by it. They don't want to deal with it. Norman, you feel, has that same anxiety when you see how he's being bullied, but yet he embraces it. Every spirit who crosses his path, he will talk to them. He will acknowledge them. So even though he's a young kid who's being bullied for having this special ability, he doesn't shy away from it. Kids in these kind of movies can be whiny. They can be sort of, you know, they can be a little off-putting. That's not Norman. There's a strength to him that I think runs throughout this entire movie 
where he's embarrassed. He's not embarrassed, but he's a little bit like he doesn't want to have this special ability of talking to the dead, but yet he can't back away from it. And the, the ghosts that talk to him, he has to talk to them back, even if it makes it look like a makes him look like a freak. And I love that about this movie. I absolutely love that. It's McAfee. He's a good actor too. He's he's good in this, and he makes this is a well-rounded character that would be rich in a live-action yes. movie. I think that's the thing about Paranorman is all these characters would be perfectly fine as they are in a live-action film. Dave, uh, I know you're doing over on, um, on on Facebook, and you post on some of the groups. You're you're also doing the you know the, the 31 Days of yeah. Halloween, and one of the movies you just mentioned now. By the time this comes out, it, it won't be the movie you just mentioned, but you had just mentioned The Lady in White. And I had mentioned that, I think, yes. last week, too, from the 80s. Yeah. And there, that Lucas Haas plays a little boy in that movie. You, who he's comes almost like the spiritual, yes. yeah, the, like the spiritual equal of Norman in this film. He really the, is. Yes, Norman, and that's the thing. Again, people, I think, expect, oh, this is a kid's movie or a kid's story. But no, it's not. He's as, he's as realistic a character as the Lucas Haas character in Lady in the yes. White, which is also a great yes. movie. You know, go, go see that one. But nobody is what they st- – because of the way Norman is, it's like you say, Dave, it, it, he's he's got issues from all. No one quite understands him, but it makes him the perfect person to be the the one to go through what's happening in this movie. It does, he's the yes. perfect person. You know, when John Goodman points out, it's got to be you. What ultimately happens in the story, and I don't want to spoil it, but I think what is fascinating, and you've seen this one too, right, Greg? Yeah, the... The oh, yeah. yes, when yes, the yes. creatures show up, we have the zombies. They look great. They look Ramiro esque, shambling, and initially, and you get all the great zombie moments you want. But then, what's so genius is that the story remembers that the zombies are people too, and yes. and they have their own backstory. Yes. They have their own agenda. And guess what? When they show up in town, they have feelings. <laughs> about yeah, what's happening yes. that are horrifying to them. I love, and that's another thing I love about this movie. There are no villains. You know, you have, you have Norman yeah. is the hero. There's He's definitely right. the hero. But there are no straight up, like, dislikable villains in this the movie. Witch. Even the witch Even is the not witch, who you expect. The witch, the yeah. zombies, you understand their motivations. There is nothing in this movie. Mm-hmm. Nobody is vilified. Nobody is, yeah. is vilified in this film. And I love that. It's not a story it. about good versus evil. Yeah. It's a story about empathy and choices. Exactly. Which is exactly. What kids need more and of. Norman is sort of talking down. You know, the zombies are the seven people who condemn this witch. And you realize, and I don't want to go into spoilers, but when you realize the witch and who it is and what it, you know, the, the reason they went after her all those hundreds of years ago it's heartbreaking it's really kind of heartbreaking in a way but yet he this movie gives the a chance to those seven people to say hey here's why we did what we did you know and it's re- i love that it's another aspect of this yeah. movie that i thought was really cool and we talk about the voice casting and a perfect example of that is you know one of those elders is um, is Bernard Hill from from uh, Lord of yes. the Rings, you know, who played Theoden yeah. in Lord of the Rings and was the captain of the Titanic. He was the judge. And he was the judge in this. Yes, yeah. and 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 so you see that, and it's like, oh, there's a reason uh, that you know 
that that's who is playing <laughs> is playing right. that character. And of course, I, I don't want to get into who she voices here, but you, you, Jadella Furlan has she she has made an entire career. You don't hear her mention much, but she's made an entire career out of playing the creepiest children. For like for like twenty years, she's done. She she played a creepy a creepy child for about you know uh, twenty years of her life. And, and in this movie, <laughs> All the way in twenty twelve, that scene mm-hmm. when Norman is in the forest and he's approaching, you know, he's sort of confronting that character, that witch. Yeah. Wow. I mean, that is to me. Uh, you know, there's a lot of great scenes in this movie that just build and build and build upon each other that, you know, yeah. in a, when, when that happens, you know, sometimes when you get to the climax, to the final part, it's a little bit of a disappointment. That's not the case with this movie. It builds no. and builds and builds. And when you get to that final climax between the witch and Norman, it's even more powerful. It's even more poignant to this film's underlying theme of acceptance and outcasts, you know, of people right. who are being outcasts mm-hmm. for, um, uh, for some Norman, because he can speak to the dead or whatever. And you realize, and it's so cool because the movie sort of builds into it. And I don't want to go, like I said, too deep into spoilers, but that it's, it's a hereditary thing. If you listen to the names thrown out there with John Goodman and the witch and Norman, you realize it's hereditary and all of them have faced the same things. And Norman is the first one who just embraced it and didn't let it really beat him down. Even though the people, the characters in this town try to beat him down every day, he still embraced it and he didn't hide from it. I love. I want to go watch it right now. Yeah, I love that. I, <laughs> I love that about right the movie. Now. I really <laughs> did. So do I. It's a it's a masterpiece too. I, and I agree with you, Dave. I think it is oh, to date their best movie. But they're all good movies. Yeah. I even enjoyed the Missing Link movie that they did. It's not as strong as the others, right. but it's good. It, too. Is, it is good mm-hmm. too. Yes, yeah. but. I mean, even the box trolls. There are things about the box trolls my, that I really enjoyed. My, yeah. My son, yeah, when that movie came out, for fun. whatever reason, he latched onto that. And the year, that year for Halloween, I'll send you guys pictures. He was an old bay box oh, troll. Oh, nice. <laughs> a box with an old bay. Oh, that's awesome. I'll send you a picture. It was so <laughs> cute. But, um, but yeah, cla- this is a great one. I think it's streaming right now on Netflix. It is a must-see. Um it's got all the elements we talked about in Monster. In fact, it's very much like Monster House, but I think it takes even Monster House, which I thought was great, to the next level. It goes even a little bit deeper story-wise, I think. Um, but I think they're all these are all fantastic choices. And again, I think here's the deal: they're all these all these things are about something. They're they're stories with characters, but this isn't just going through the motions or set pieces. They're stories here that have a a, a poignancy to them. Yeah. You know, I think that they are. Great stories, which leads us to the last one I want to talk about, which which I do think, Dave, when you get around to seeing it, I think you're going to be impressed yeah, with it because I, I, it's so I'm much. So, fits I'm so into disappointed. This. I didn't get a chance to see it yet. Well, no, I'm I'm actually I'm I'm looking forward to whenever you do see it and, and hearing what your thoughts are. But this one is called, and I think there's probably a lot of people who probably haven't seen this. I wasn't even I didn't see it when it came out. This is uh, over the garden wall, and it, it was it was released on Cartoon Network as a series of little shorts. Uh, and I don't remember when it was released. I don't know if it was October or it was no, November. And it 
it exudes the feeling of fall. Uh, I'll let you go. Uh, Greg, would you like to set this one up? Real quick, I just have to run upstairs. I'll be, I'll be right. Just oh, yeah, don't, no just don't refer ahead. to me. Just don't kick it back to me. That's the only reason I'm <laughs> okay. saying it. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I can do that. Sorry, let me just bring it up. I'm, I, I, I mean, I can free ball it, but. I can do it. I can do it if you want. That's fine. Um, I just wanted to. Yeah. You might, you might be a little bit more. uh, I mean, I, I have no problem doing it, but what I'll do is I'll just set it up. I'll obviously cut all this stuff, but I will just set it up kind of quickly in, in the general sense, because I, you know, it, I think it's best when that one particularly is so woven in. Have you seen it recently or remember it? Okay. I did re I did rewatch it over the weekend, but what's what's so great about over the wall over yeah, the right. garden wall? I uh, caught that too. <laughs> I, I was, uh, but it, over the garden wall, it, what's so neat about it is yeah. that it's so layered, and you know it, it. You know, for the whole story to develop, I mean, obviously you have to watch the whole thing, um, and. It's just, it's just a uniqueness. There's just a, just like all the movies and all the shorts that we've talked about, it just captures this melancholy aspect and you don't realize it until like, I think the eighth or ninth episode uh, out of 10. Cause it's only, it's very short. Um, but the animation is so, ah, I don't know. It captures the youth. It captures the, you know, again, I'm 43. So it captures that, that inner youth. It reminded me of the, of the Richard. Yeah. Yeah. Like they, if you remember, and they have like the ABCs and things like that. And they, yeah, but they were, yes, exactly. But they were all the, all the, the people weren't people. They were animals. And so when you're watching over the garden wall, there's a, Oh, yeah. any number of little creatures, but it's just the, the cartoon work, and um, you have the the two brothers, uh, Wirt, which at first you're thinking that they're saying Wart, but it's Wirt, and then Greg, the younger brother, and I, I mean, for anything to be named Greg, it's going to be <laughs> awesome. But they, these two brothers, they get lost in the unknown. And they're in this strange forest adrift in time. And they find a woodsman and a bluebird named Beatrice. And um, and this bluebird. Uh, I mean, it, it's such a neat story. It's so layered and colorful and fun and heartwarming. And you said it. It captures the autumn. It captures the fall or October and November. And when you watch the movie, it really tells that it, it adds it to the story because um, I, I, I should bring up the list of the t- title of the episodes, but there's so much fun um, and there's some creepy parts and there's some fun parts, uh, heartwarming parts, um, brotherly yeah. love. And then the ultimate the ultimate story is is. Um, not what you yeah, expect. It's very cool. I didn't, I, what I became aware of it is I had seen a couple episodes around 20, my, my son was born in 2012, which incidentally is the same year that Paranorman came out. And so in the years after that, you know, 
you find yourself watching a lot of animated nonsense with your kids um, and not the animated mm-hmm. nonsense you choose mm-hmm. all the time. And so, you know, in between at that point in time, I think with, with mm-hmm. Johnny, it was like Jake and the Neverland Pirates. Uh, there was something called Trotro Thomas. He was a huge, he's Thomas a huge and still is huge into trains. Uh, <laughs> thankfully, he got into like real trains pretty quickly. So Thomas got left behind, but Thomas was kind of insu- it yeah. was gentle but also insufferable. I thought, and so I would find myself turning on Cartoon Network, which yeah. wasn't really a, it, there's not a lot of things with Cartoon Network honestly that are appropriate for a little kid. But when you're very no. when you were like one or two, like he was, he would just enjoy the colors and the things, and so. Some of the Cartoon Network stuff I could watch without mm-hmm. my mind going numb on me. And so I was watching Adventure Time, which is a very weird show. <laughs> very surreal, very absurdist. Yeah, and yet yeah. every once in a while, you'd be watching one of these absurdist episodes that were nonsense is happening. And suddenly something poignant and weird would happen. And you would be like, wow, that was kind of deep, you know. It, it, uh, mm-hmm. and, and, and these characters would suddenly come to life. And then I saw that the some of the people that worked on this, including Patrick McHale, had worked on Adventure Time, and but this the cover of this, this Over the Garden oh, okay. Wall, immediate what you look at when you see this, you mentioned Richard Scary, it has an illustrated vibe, but the animation style reminds you of twenties cartoons, twenties cartoons and art from the twenties and thirties, a very kind of kitschy sort oh, yeah. of folk art look, but also yes. cartoons from the twenties and thirties. Uh, the music that's played in this and the kind of, you know, it has a vaudeville sort of feel to it. And yet the story is very much kind of a classic fairy tale vibe, but you get, you don't understand what you're looking. That's the interesting thing about this. Whereas adventure time is absurdity for its own sake. Uh, here things that Mm -hmm. seem absurd are made almost crystal clear by the end. I think that's why Greg and I are sort of talking around it, you know, uh, because, and it's one of the reasons it works is having chapters. I think there are 10 chapters ultimately, and each chapter is what, like 10, 11 minutes long, sometimes maybe a little longer, but not yes. much. Uh, and the chapters are hard to discuss. Uh, you can sit down and watch this whole thing, and I would encourage you to do it. Right now it's on HBO Max. It's also on Hulu. I And you can also purchase it, I think, on Amazon Prime, like the whole package the whole series probably for like 20 bucks it's basically a movie the length of it is it runs about two hours but Mm -hmm. each segment and when you by the time you reach the last segment every visual image in this even when you see something that's a weird random shot i would say almost every visual image is paid off by the end of the story meaning that they all connect together and you understand what's happening. Even when you see these two boys, one looks like he's wearing a giant dunce cap or like a nomad. And the other boy has a teapot on his head and that's Greg. He's the younger one and Wurt's the older one. And the minute you see them and you're like, that's just absurd. But there's actually a reason that makes perfect sense about why they look the way they do. And as the show goes on, you get those feelings of fall, those feelings of autumn. They, and, and it's very episodic. You know, it, it it has that almost Pilgrim's Progress sort of feel or one of these stories where they go from one event to the mm-hmm. next and they and they go to these different places. And the voice cast is amazing. Like they, they originally encountered this woodsman who's voiced by Christopher Lloyd and he's a reoccurring character. There's something in the wilderness called the Beast and you're not quite mm-hmm. sure what that is. And uh, I mean, John Cleese is in here. John Cleese is in here a couple times as different characters, including a man who thinks his tea house is haunted. Mm-hmm. And uh, you've got Greg's frog who he keeps name <laughs> renaming every episode of Melanie Linsky, Melanie Linsky, who oh, worked, Elijah Wood is worked. Uh, I should have mentioned that right off the bat. I mean, 
Woods yeah. done a has had that great second career of really being involved in things in the in kind of the geek scene, you know, and making the things that that all of us love. And mm-hmm. uh, he's great exactly. here, Melanie Linsky. He and Linsky are super good in that Jeremy Sawney movie. Uh, what is it? Um, I don't feel a home in the world anymore. <laughs> and they are. She's the. She's yeah. She's oh, Beatrice the yeah, Bluebird that is here. A good one. And they go. The three of them are on this quest to kind of get out of the woods and she is looking for something herself uh she wasn't always a bluebird and you keep encountering these characters uh, shirley jones shows up tim curry post stroke because he had a stroke a few years back tim curry shows up here as a character named anti whispers which is totally creepy and yes that was that's tim no curry way that's, that's <laughs> awesome i didn't yes, even and know I, that Oh, and that 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 character is 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 the classic, and it, it's I'm not gonna spoil it, but it's such a, that's such a great episode in this, and it's a great spin, is how I put it. Um, everything that happens in that one is is just perfect. I, you, you just that's the episode I wanted to it deals watch with them, some of the best right horror imagery. I think um, oh. outside of the character, they have this character yes, they bring in the yes. beast. Uh, that keeps reappearing, but the great, yes. great voices all through this thing. And then Chris Isaac is in here too, <laughs> who who shows up as um, oh my, uh, he they go to a town that's filled with pumpkin people, and the story behind the pumpkin people, this be- oh, the yeah. images there of these walking oh pumpkins gosh. and gourds and things that are walking around this town. I mean animation wise this thing is a phenomenal looking each segment the songs are great these songs have that old timey sort of feel there's a point when greg sings mm-hmm. a song called potatoes and molasses <laughs> and he's like and and, he, and even that that particular episode where he <laughs> they find a school where these people are trying to teach animals how to read and write oh. this stuff sounds absurd it sounds like kid stuff but it really isn't because underneath this the story of these two kids trying to get home and their relationship the brother relationship because it's established right up front that their brother their brothers. Uh, we don't know to what degree and what's going on with them there, but they, I look at my own kids and I think of myself when, uh, when I was younger, my brother was a little bit younger than I was. And my siblings, I, my children, I see that in them where they're about two years apart. And yet the little boy who adores the older boy and the older boy loves the younger boy, but he also mm-hmm. irritates him. And <laughs> he's at a point where the things that he, the, he, he's yep. awkward he, he, you know, he's not interacting with everybody exactly what he wants, and he blames the the younger boy. But the younger boy is so steadfast and so earnest, and he's such a great character <laughs> that uh, that Greg, I think, is kind of the, the 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 emotional heartbeat of the show. And then he, but he's got things going on too, and they're trying to make their way through. And this beast is a real. Uh, what's happening in the forest is really dark, you know, and there are these themes of hopelessness and mm-hmm. themes of losing your way and not finding who you are at all. And they're woven into this creepy, but also intoxicating story, this fantasy world that's so rich and there's so many random, strange things happening, but they build and layer a pair layer upon each other. And like a great fairy tale, but honestly, it's one of my favorite animated anythings, honestly, it's just the tone they capture that wistful tone of the fall. They get the the animation is beautiful. Uh, the image of the beast, this thing you see the lantern, the 
the they're not sure the woodsman carries a lantern and they see the beast who sort of is shadowy and uh-huh. builds into the trees and that's a that's a horror villain too that's a that's a straight up nightmare monster oh, and for sure. but it's also very funny there are funny moments in in the darkest moments of this show comedy is happening <laughs> at the same time and so i think i think this would be uh, Dave, when you do get around to seeing this, I think you'll have a great time with it. Again, it's got an amazing guest. Baby, BB Newworth is in it. I mean, oh, uh, you, wow. Thomas Lennon, all these different people show up. And again, the animation style. If you are a fan of this animation from like the 20s and the 30s, you know, the, this harkens back to that. And yet it brings it full circle. And I don't think it's a spoiler to say that Halloween makes a pretty big appearance in this, in this show awesome. and ultimately ties it together. This is the spiritual successor to the Halloween tree, in my opinion. Wow. Yeah. I, everything I've heard makes me want to definitely check it out. No doubt about it. So I would definitely, and I, I would say, uh, Greg, of all these, I, this is also one that's a bit on the lighter, not lighter side, but it is probably not as scary as Coraline or I guess Paranorman could be scary to some people too. You know, I think this is less scary, probably more along the Halloween tree. I, I would yeah I, I I would agree it's it's it has a few moments but it's it only is for maybe fifteen seconds yeah. at, at a time where like it lingers on especially with Coraline <laughs> yeah. Greg usually lingers. says something absurd you know around it the keeps time, coming like, back uh, yeah he names himself different yeah George Washington ben Franklin <laughs> George Washington and why is oh, everyone upset probably because the president's great. not wearing clothes. <laughs> You know, it's the little things like that all through there. But um, I think I think it's definitely worth worth seeing. My kids adore it, and uh, it's become a yearly thing for us too. But over the garden wall, highly recommend. And honestly, I think all these things, the, the, what we talked about at the beginning, the things you can do in animation, uh, even when you don't necessarily have a great big budget. They give you a freedom to do things. That's what we, that's been kind of the, the whole point of, you know, we've made that several times in Illustrated Fan, I think, Dave, that animation gives you this freedom uh, to imagine things and, and evoke things that you couldn't necessarily couldn't do, even if you had the biggest budget in the world. And a lot of these horror stories do that here. But the thing I think that stands out about all of these is that it's the character. They, they bothered to create a depth of character to go with their fantasy visions. I would agree. Um, I think that these for all, all of our selections have uh, an underlying character and it's fascinating that with an illustration or a cartoon that it can be so, so strong um, with telling and sharing those underlying messages. So even in the darkest moments, you're still feeling comforted and, and safe in a roundabout way, learning that lesson. Whatever Which is what Halloween was always a comfort to me. You know, I was never, it was never a creepy thing. It was always comforting, you know, it, it <laughs> has been and always is. So I like, those oh, are the sure. kinds of things I like to see, you know, at Halloween. I mean, I like to see gore and horror and all that stuff too, but I, you know, there's the, the, the kid part of me is still there. So anything else, Greg or Dave, anything else you wanted to uh, mention before we close up? Uh, the only thing that I wanted to throw in there about Paranorman it was one of those moments of of being a dad, taking my son, who was five at the time, five or six, six. It came out twenty twelve. He was six. Um, 
Okay, I'm sorry. He was I, again, I only remember because my son had just been born. He was like weeks old at the time. Okay. I, 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 I of course, then I'm looking at 2014, which is over the garden wall. So that's where I got that date. So, yes, he was four and he did not want to sit in the theater any longer it was maybe 15 minutes in the movie and i felt like that bad dad that was like come on buddy five more minutes you can make it and then something else would happen and it would be like oh come on buddy <laughs> come we on can stick make, with we it, make it <laughs> i just felt so horrible i mean because everything was going over his head but something would come up that would just jar him just enough and he would you know not be happy with me and um, but what a what a delight, you know, seeing that in the theaters. Uh, Paranorman is definitely a, a a a great one. All the films, and now I'm very I have curious the, to the see Halloween what you you'll, you'll have to bench it and call list. back in and, and let us can, know what you think about it after you one. see it. <laughs> <laughs> I know, and if I you will. see if you do that before the episode's over, I will actually include will. the Greg call at the but, end uh, of this one. <laughs> <laughs> So, nice. um, good. yeah, I think that that's, uh, that's about it. There, there's plenty of great stuff out there. I mean, on a much, uh, to me personally, I'm on a much lesser, uh, note. You have the, how the, uh, hotel Transylvania movies, which, which really aren't terrible. They're, they're, they're probably the modern equivalent of the mad monster party. If you want to get down to it, uh, my kids have fun with them. Uh, did you, did either of you see the Adams family animated film they made a few years ago? Um, no, I, it, it was fine. I didn't think it was terrific. Yes. I I really adore yes. the uh, the live action ones they did in the nineties, but um, this this was not as good. But I appreciated they went back to the actual um, Charles Adams like illustration style, so that was neat. And Mike, I haven't seen the second one. My I, kids want to see. I, we'll I would, probably rent yeah, that around Halloween agree. and watch it because I think you can. Um, one, uh, I think it's on Amazon to rent, but I, I, I have a hard time renting these movies for 20 bucks. You know what I mean? Some, some of these are a little, yeah, I'm, I'm with you and, and you can't have a physical copy <laughs> and you don't even get to keep it. It's not even a digital copy for yeah, $20. Exactly. You, you have it for a weekend exactly. and uh, once in a while we'll do it because, you know, cause I love my kids, but I mean, that's just like, I'd, I'd rather just take them to the theater, you know, and, and let them see it. But so that's kind of the episode. And uh, before we go, Dave, did you want to mention what our next uh, our, our our November episode will be for the Illustrated Fan? Because we're going to have another guest. We're going to have another guest. It's actually a coworker of mine who is going to school, uh, is learning, or, or is um, uh, yeah, is in school for animation, and it is Christian Neck, a coworker of mine, and we're going to be looking at the movies of uh or two films from Hayao Miyazaki who for you know is the uh basically the reason we decided to do this at all <laughs> exactly yes the the one true or yes. of animation <laughs> animation is more of a um committee you know movie by committee Hayao Miyazaki is the one true auteur of animated films I would I would say Anyway, maybe there are others. He's the one consistent. But Hammy is the most consistent. Yeah, he's the one who leaps to yeah. mind. He's the one who leaps to mind. And we're going to be looking at two of his uh, most popular films, at least as far as I'm concerned, two of his most popular films. Yeah, yeah, and uh, which which honestly probably would have fit in perfectly well here. <laughs> you know, uh, the, yes. but his his movies are good for for all time. And honestly, <laughs> like I think we had said before, like 
if this, if the illustrator fan continues, Miyazaki will get multiple episodes because I mean, honestly, oh, every to. movie he he's to. directed is worth seeing, and even many of the ones he's produced Absolutely. are worth seeing. In fact, I, uh, his last movie, uh, I mean, he's not passed, but the last movie that he directed, I believe, was The Wind Rises. Uh, and was a great movie too, and was not his yep. typical thing. It was it was a kind of uh, historical bi- biography style film, not a yep. not a fantasy. So, and there's and there's a documentary about him. Was it the Never Ending Man? Yes, yeah, yeah. It came out like came out about a year ago, and it's really funny because you know Miyazaki had talked about retiring from back in the late nineties, yeah. early two thousands. And then finally did it after you said the wind rises came out. What was that? 2015. Yep. Mm-hmm. Cause it was on my, like it was that. on it was the like best later. of the year list whenever it came out. Yeah. But then you watch this never ending man and all Miyazaki does is sit in his kitchen and drink tea. Yeah. <laughs> and you get the feeling that, and then he starts getting into animation again. He starts yeah. getting into the short film and this thing about this little caterpillar that he wants to make the movie and he's sort of bringing, you know, uh, bringing everything he had before, you know, everything he's learned to that process that you realize this guy just, he shouldn't retire. He's like a, he's like a Kira Kurosawa. Really? Yeah. He, he doesn't do anything but sit in his kitchen and drink tea when he's retired. And you look at what he's done and it's such a shame because by the time this movie was made, never ending man, Studio Ghibli was gone. Yeah. Yeah. And that's so depressing because of all the great animators that he had there and the great team that he had there that it just sort of went away because he was going to retire. And then you watch this movie and you realize Miyazaki does nothing in retirement. (laughs) He doesn't do anything except drink tea and think about movies. To be fair. He's earned it, <laughs> but oh yeah, he's but you, earned it. There's no. I don't know how it. old is me is that because I you know how old like didn't Kurosawa come back to it at like eighty five or something? How old was he? Yeah, when he I made Ran, he did, it was re- he was he was he was yeah. up there. There's no. Kajimucha was first, and then Ran, and then and he continued right. to make movies, and uh, he did, he did. Well, you know, um, he did. Green Dreams, which was great. I thought those are those are fantastic movies. Ran is a masterpiece. Absolutely, yeah. his later films, his later films are great. There's no doubt about it. But, um, but and but Miyazaki's one of those ones where, yeah, you know, he was going to retire after what Princess Mononoke. I feel like he'll be back. Is what retire. I'm trying to say. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, he retired after Spirited Away, and if you're going to retire. <laughs> Spirited Away is the movie to retire after. Well, he was going to retire after Princess Mononoke, which would have been, you could have said the exact yeah. same thing about it, not knowing there was the a Spirited 90s, Away. Right. It's another great movie. Yeah. But then we would have never had Spirited right. Away. And Spirited Away, for me, um, is his masterpiece. But even after I Spirited Away, you had like Ponyo yeah. and How's, How's movie, Castle, How's movie Wind Castle Rises. And yeah. Ponyo, The Wind Rises, you still had some And, we, and as you movies. can see, guys, we're already doing the, the Miyazaki episode we're right now. We're doing the episode, yeah. <laughs> but, we should probably Yes, win. yes. But it, I'm really looking forward to having Christian on. It'll be a lot of fun. And I yep. think that... Uh, yeah, this is, is going to be a great episode, and we'll we'll uh, we'll we'll figure out some short films too to include, and we'll probably uh, and Miyazaki made yeah, some. That's, short that's films. very true. So there's one to, really cool. yeah. to talk about. So I am I'm really excited about this. And uh, Greg, thank you so much for joining us for this episode. I think yes, this was a ton you, of fun, sir. 
And I can't wait to – I'm ready to rewatch every movie we yes. talked about, oh, even though some of them I only watched a week ago. <laughs> right. So. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you for having me on. It was a it was a pleasure, and it's always yeah. fun to talk with both of you. So, before we wrap up, uh, uh, Greg, where else D. can they find you? Because uh, other than ten voicemails over at the uh, <laughs> Land of the Creeps, Land of the Creeps, right? <laughs> what do you call that? Like the the correspondent, you know? <laughs> they have like oh, I'm, all I'm, these I'm shows and magazines <laughs> always have like their correspondents that call them are. But. <laughs> There you go. And Greg, you had yeah. I, it, as I'm it aired, you find, did. So. You were either just <laughs> you, on, and that, I'm so backed up with my episodes of everything to listen to. You were just on Father and Son about Halloween, right? One of the Halloween okay. movies. Father and Son. Okay, that is in my queue yep. to uh, listen Halloween to because I just watched the Halloween producer's six. cut of Halloween Six for the first time ever. The other night, it like I woke up at three something in the morning, and my wife walked Ooh. up into and was like, "Paul Rudd was in a Halloween movie." <laughs> yes, he was. <laughs> oh man, that was a trip. But uh, I never seen that before. The producers. <laughs> That's cast, awesome. But. And 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 the guys from Father and Son are, are Jackson yes. and Matt. They're and great. we've had they've they been really on, are awesome. They've been on here several times as well. We have just recently on for Dark yeah, Star. They're, and, they're just great, and I've been on their yeah. show. I think all of us have been on their show, and. It's just so much fun, and um, it's it, that's great. I, I'm looking forward to that episode. Absolutely. In fact, it, I should mention that they've gone through all the Halloweens, uh, and they bring they started with our yep. you know um, another friend of the show and and uh, had a land of the creeks. Greg Morgan was on there for, of course, the original Halloween in '78. And um, Greg ever get tired of talking? No, he doesn't. And in fact, you know, I might as well throw it out there. Episode one of Creepshow (laughs) Features, eleven years ago, he was talking how it's a pure love, though. It is a pure love. It is a pure love. There's no. It's fun to just listen to him talk about it. I've said many times. And when you're going to do an episode on Halloween, yeah, Greg is the (laughs) go-to guest every single time. But I mean, and they bring in a lot of others too. And they, you know, I think. Ian Urza, who's called into this, who sent messages into this show in Phantom Galaxy, yep. uh, got his kind of uh, podcast debut, I think, over uh, for one of the Halloween episodes. As did Brian Scott. I don't know if his episode is wow. aired yet, but I think he's talking yes, the right. um, the Rob Zombie mm-hmm. Halloween. Uh, he was. He was talking the Rob Zombie. And Brian, it's so funny on Facebook, is saying how nervous he was <laughs> and everything, and and. I guarantee he did oh, a yeah, great yeah. job He's, because I guarantee that Matt and Jackson put him at ease and everything was great. Yeah, and and Brian, I'm looking at you next. <laughs> Phantom Galaxy, we'll have to, we'll have to dial yes. you up. Um, but yeah, it's a great series. And um, Ashley Pinkard was on over there. Was she on the episode with you, Greg? No, it's a different. Brian, that's right. Okay. And no, nope, yeah, because I've only gone Brian through. And then my, my, one of my personal favorites, Rob Halloween Zombie. 3, Season of the Witch. <laughs> But, oh, I, I, you know what? I love that movie. I too. do. Mm-hmm. I saw that on cable when it first came out. I'm a big fan of that one. Yes, it's not Michael Myers. It's not it's a that kid though. It freaked me out worse because of what was going on in it. Like, yes. like, oh. yeah, the scene with the mask. <laughs> when the, when yeah. the, the kids sitting there watching TV. It's one thing about oh, this man, guy that's... hunting you down. It's another thing when your Halloween mask will kill you. Okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, there's no more messed up thing for a kid, really. I think than that. But uh, and send Dave. Let us know where they can find you, which is everywhere <laughs> yeah um i'm on dvd infatuation um dot com i'm still posting movie reviews over there on twitter at dvd infatuation i'm on letterboxd um on instagram i have my youtube channel 
uh, other podcasts, of course, Land of the Creeps uh, with uh, with uh, Greg Greg Amortis, uh, Greg Morgan, and uh, Big Bill Van Vagel. Always have a lot of fun over in Land of the Creeps. And uh, my DVD infatuation podcast, actually, um, just today, the Halloween episode, myself and Jay of the Dead. First time I've talked to Jay on a podcast in years. Oh, nice. I cannot wait and for that. He joined me. He joined me over on DVD infatuation. We we talked um, some uh, survival horror, which nice. is Jay's favorite subgenre it is. <laughs> of horror. Um, and had a blast, uh, and it was a lot of fun that just got released today. Uh, oh, it so released today. To get a Very cool. It okay. just released nice, today. Nice. Yeah. He just dropped it today. I'm talking within the last maybe five hours. Okay. Jay sent me a message that he released that episode. And that is that, uh, you can see that at, at Jay's considering. The I will link that in the show notes to this episode too. So. Yes, please. That would be great. And, uh, check that out there. Yeah. And then you recently also, you were on, as I just listened, you did an episode with the real talk guys about the shining. Yes. Super the awesome. shining yeah. is, and went as deep into that movie as I ever had before. And it was so much fun. Um, you know, uh, being over there with, with, uh, Wes and Gabe and Tommy, it was just a blast. And to dig into uh, The Shining, and spoiler alert, not everybody loved the movie, which I thought made it even more interesting, yeah. you know? Um, it just made it a lot of Whoa. fun. And, hey, you have good um, company with just, Stephen uh, King, I guess, right? He doesn't like it either. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> but definitely check that one out as well. Um, that's the, the, the over at, Real Talk, at the Real Talk podcast. Yeah. Check that one uh, out. That, that link as well, so... Uh, this was awesome. It was so much fun, and it was cool to, uh, again, talk some of the the Halloween and horror uh, animated-related things. And, I, and I, I suspect, too, like we were mentioned with Miyazaki, this won't be the only time we look at horror and animation. I think there's more out there to be explored. But There's a lot more, yeah. yes. And, yeah. and I think what's nice about this is really what we kept this in the family-friendly vein enough that you can really – Go to this episode if you're a parent looking for something to watch with their kids, and there's a lot of great uh, recommendations. So, I, all right, I, well, I that's it for the the Illustrated Fan and the Phantom Galaxy. You can find uh, both of those shows over at Phantom Galaxy at uh, Podbean.com, and you can find them on our Facebook page and our group Facebook uh, group page as well. Uh, group that just went up, and you can find us on Twitter at Phantom Galaxy. So, and if you get a chance, head over to Apple Podcasts, give us a review. You can review Phantom Galaxy, you can review Strange Frequencies, the show that uh, Bill does about music, or the Illustrated Fan. You can leave us a review there. So, uh, and anything, anything there really helps get exposure out. We've been getting a lot more exposure recently for the show, so we appreciate that. And until next time, this is the Illustrated Fan signing out. Take care, everyone. If you've been enjoying the music here on Phantom Galaxy, the opening theme and the closing theme are both brought to you by synth-pop artist Aries Beats. He's done a lot of really cool stuff in the world of synth-pop, a lot of very interesting genre-based retro themes. You can find more of his work over at ariesbeats.bandcamp.com. And until next time, we are the Phantom Galaxy. Thank you.